This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday. You did it. Another week. Another week. Congratulations. I know. You were wondering, am I going to be able to do this anymore? And you did. And no harm, no foul. Congrats. Welcome to the program. we got a great show for you. We're going to, uh, we have an extended weekend. Many of you don't know, but Utah has a holiday, uh, the state holiday, on the 24th of July. So we won't be here Monday. (laughs) Sorry to be so excited. It's not that we don't love you. It's just that we love extended weekends. And the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. It's like a second 4th of July. It is. It's like the 24th of July. Well, yeah, but I mean, fireworks, barbecues. Hot dogs. Yeah. Gallbladder, pain. Well. Not anymore. For you. Hmm. Not anymore. No, can you consume those foods? Now I can't. Within reason. Whereas before, it was like reckless abandonment. They still make me a little sick. Like, just load up the conveyor belt, send me hot dogs. I actually don't think I've had a hot dog or a hamburger in like four months. Oh, wow. It's weird because I normally would have had a, Lots of two chicken? or three of those. That's sad. A lot of chicken. Mm. A lot of chicken. Like, what it, made chicken the kinder, gentler food? It's the other white meat. Well, it's not really kind and gentle. Wait, it's the when original you, white meat. Wait, that was pork. Sorry. When you deep fry it, though, it's not kind or gentle. That's so true. That's actually true. I got a little stomachache this week because I ate some fried chicken. Mm. It was worth it, though. Admit it. It really wasn't. Oh, come on. It made me think, maybe I just need tofu. Oh, come on! I know. And then right after I had that thought, I thought, no. Because you know what we're celebrating today? Junk food day. Junk food day. Everybody needs a little junk food. What's your favorite junk food? Terry. Doritos. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I have a problem. I only get them once a year. I know. That's, maybe that's the problem. Maybe you ought to do it more. No. See, and I don't like just go nuts when I buy them, but it's like they're in the house. I eat them. It's like I don't, I'm not even hungry. I see them. I, I want a Dorito. Well, you're like they don't. They seem lonely. I am taking up your recommendation. We talked about this yesterday after the show. What? I am buying a can of spray cheese this weekend. I, and, and shooting it into olives. That yes. sounds, it's like, <laughs> sounds healthy. <laughs> mm. Why did you just laugh like that? That seems rude. Uh, well, when you've had spray cheese uh, sprayed up your nose, you no longer desire oh, wow. to eat it ever again. Did you have the spray cheese with bacon in it? Like bacon bits There cheese? was definitely a mesquite flavor to it wow. that I could smell anyway. You how could did, both taste, smell, and hear when how did, you do that. Yeah, how did you get it up your nose? It was a feast for the senses. Um, I, won't, I won't explain how. It was hazing, wasn't it? If my mother's listening, she'll... Make a call to a certain sibling and yeah, make him feel brothers. bad. But all all is forgiven. Okay. I still do like cheese, though. If I had to choose what I could uh, gorge on today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was your favorite? Nachos. Oh, I love nachos, too. The best. And nachos with Doritos. Super great. No, that's deadly, as we found out right. on the there show. Right, was a gas station in Sacramento. That's right. And botulism. Oh, boy. Don't want to do that. <clears throat> Junk food day. Wait, what about you? I don't know. Come on. Because I, I'll try, I like everything. But whatever it is, it's salty. I don't like... So maybe, maybe your junk food is salt. Maybe it's just salt. Maybe I could just throw back... That's why you I live in Salt, salt Lake. Lake and... 
<laughs> big block There's a great big lake of we, salt here. We get a brush, just kind of go over slowly, your mane a little bit. Slowly just lather it on me. It's funny. I'll eat anything, but my uh, but salt is my favorite snack. Salt, not sweet. Or anything sweet if there is no salt. I just had one of those sweet and salty nut bars oh, this morning. Best. Those are the best. Yeah. It's like, and I, you know, lately I've been consuming some bit of honeys. Love a little bit of honey. That's uh, my new nickname for my wife. She's my bit of honey. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> just trying to open up more. Instantly the room went awkward. Or like, yeah, got really, is it hot in here? Yeah. What's up? The minute I... Bring up a bit of honey. It gets really warm in the room. Hey, crazy, uh, crazy day with um, – not crazy, but President Trump is really dissing Sessions. Yes. And Mueller apparently. Mueller. Mueller. We got a bunch of real dummies. What's he going to do? Is he really going to threaten the guy that's investigating – I mean is he going to fire has. the guy that's investigating him? Maybe. I mean he threatened him in the New York Times interview he gave saying if he investigates his businesses, that's a step too far. And then the next morning it was reported that Mueller was investigating his businesses. Now, I don't know if Trump knew that was going to happen, so he tossed it in the article. Or if Mueller read the article and went, what are you doing? And then he went ahead and did it anyways. And then others are like, you better not mess with Mueller. Now Trump's legal team is looking into Mueller and his team to see if there's any way they can discredit them. And get yeah. them bounced from the investigation. Wouldn't it make more sense to just get this thing done? Just stay out of the way. Call me the old. Call, call me old fashioned. I once. I once get had it a, done. I once had a Mueller that went bad, so I had to get it pulled. Yeah, that's those are that's that's bad. I think Trump's feeling the same pain. Yeah. from his Mueller. A little pressure. Yeah. It, it, it feels like the, his Mueller's just digging into him. Wouldn't you want to stay away from it? Just. Let it happen and yeah. continue. I mean, they said they were going to defer all questions to the investigation or just say, we can't talk about it. Go talk to those guys. And they were going to stick with their plan, their priorities, move their agenda forward. Yeah. And mm. like this week, do you remember what this week was? It was it was healthcare was, week, wasn't it? No, this was made in America, oh, America yeah. first. Oh, what happened to that? Well, it stopped about midway through the I week. I mean, Monday it kicked right off. He's the, talking Donald to the was in a, a, a Fire truck, wasn't he? And yeah, yeah, made in America. Yeah, that stopped fast. Wow, I was liking made in America. Great day. He had a Louisville baseball bat. He's in there holding up big wrenches that are made in America. Hmm. Yeah, well, Boy, that went fast. Yeah, it kind of got derailed halfway through the week when the president it's talks. Too bad. <laughs> yells at his what attorney general? Yeah, who the next morning had to defend the fact that he wasn't quitting. Yeah. Which is kind of an odd press conference to hold. That's strange. It's been a strange week. Yeah. Uh, President or uh, McCain, John McCain, not president, presidential candidate McCain. At one point, yes. Diagnosed with a brain tumor. Yeah. It's been weird. And then he's on Twitter, like, warning people he's coming back, so be ready. He's tweeting? Is warning the right word? It, it felt like a warning. Okay. Maybe just advising. <laughs> it felt like a warning. Informing. He goes, yeah. I'll be back. I'll be back. I'll be back. Um, hmm. Okay. Crazy. Well, you know, it would make it a little more sane. What's that? Is if today we talked about how to be, how to protect crowds from terrorism. Right. So that's what we're going to do today. Today we will get into the topic of safety and terrorism. 
what you need to worry about, what maybe government should be paying attention to? Well, this this article is written in light of the attacks in London yeah. where they're just driving trucks. All of trucks. a sudden you can just drive a truck and kill a bunch in of people In France, now. they drove through – was it Nice? Is that yeah. where they had the, the big delivery truck or cargo truck that drove around? And the New York Times, the guy – not New York Times, but, uh, Times Square in New York yeah. where the guy drove in. Now, they put these big cement pylons everywhere. But that's not enough. Yeah, you can't pile on everything. So how do you lock every public place down? And the answer is probably you can't, but this guy has some ideas on how you can make it better. Interesting. As an introvert, I feel like maybe what we ought to do is everybody just ought to go inside. Just stay home? Everybody stay home. Don't celebrate much in crowds. And instead, let's just have a quiet year at home. So just become an agoraphobe then. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wow. I don't see the problem there. SAT words. Seems like a – and by the way, great use of your vocabulary today. Good job. Thank you. That was I'm my s- Kiefer Sutherland thank you again. Can yeah. I hear that again, Kiefer? Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a great day. Junk food and we're talking uh, better protection from terrorists locally. We'll get to all that fun. But uh, first, of course, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Find out what else we need to be paying attention to. Terry, what is up? So O.J. Simpson's getting paroled in October. Oh, boy. During this, the, uh, uh, what was it, the parole hearing, he said, I'm not a guy who has conflicts on the street. I'm a guy who pretty much just gets along with everyone. Almost everyone. I mean, there's a few. Two, specifically? People, but- too, yeah, that are mad still, yeah. Okay. Uh, in other news, two of six missing teenagers from Burundi, no, Burundi, excuse me. No, Burundi. Burundi robotics team were seen entering Canada, according to police. The team members were in Washington, D.C. for an international robotics competition and were last seen on Tuesday. Have they, I guess, disappeared? since. We don't have any indication of foul play and we're continuing to investigate this case, a D.C. spokeswoman says. Canada's Border Services Agency neither confirmed nor denied that two teens entered the country. Wow. So, they came to the United States. We and know nothing. May or may not have defected to Canada. Was that your Canadian accent? No, that was my Sergeant Schultz. Okay. And this after the government blocked the the team of girls from Afghanistan who were coming for the robotics conference. Yeah. And then the last moment, I think President Trump stepped in and let him in the country. Okay. Oh, okay. Which is good. And then yeah. they went to the White House, took pictures with Ivanka, so everything's great. Okay. That's what happened. That's how that works. In promotional brochures, a U.S. company boasted of the stunning visual effect. Its shimmering aluminum panels created in an NFL stadium, mm. an Alaskan high school, and a luxury hotel in Baltimore. Those same panels, uh, Rhino Bond composite material with polyethylene core, mm. were also used in the Grenfell Tower apartment building in London. Ew. That, of course, turned into the Roman Not candle. Not a great and people endorsement. Died. British authorities say they are investigating whether the panels helped spread the blaze that ripped across the building's outer walls, killing at least 80 people. Ugh. The panels are not recommended for use in buildings above 40 feet because they are combustible. So oh, yeah. their name's supposed to be on the high rise building in London. But it's just a stadium. It's just an Determining, NFL. do you know which team? Uh, will, will it be Vegas? The no, Ve- this stadium is built. Okay, but uh, it's got to be a team that has some. Flames in their name. Yeah. Well, no. Who? Not in their name, but in their history. Who? We'll see. Determining which buildings might be wrapped in the material in the U.S. is difficult. In some cases, building records have been long discarded. Neither the owners, operators, contractors, nor architects involved could or would confirm the cladding was used. 
Mm. That makes it virtually impossible to know whether the Baltimore Marriott Waterfront Hotel or the Cleveland Browns Football Stadium, both identified in the brochures by this company. So the Ravens and the Browns. Well, the Browns, and then it's a uh, Marriott in uh, Baltimore. Oh, just a Marriott. Yeah. So the Browns, oh, as if they didn't have... Didn't they light the the river on fire in Cleveland? Is that the story? Was that a, a, somewhere else? Did they mean to light it on fire? I think it, it was an accident, but I think it's just the fact that the river lit on fire. But it's, hey, a lot of rivers burn. Right. So, I mean, you know, Cleveland Browns, but I mean... That's what that song, Smoke in the Water, is about. Oh, is that what that's about? Yeah. And uh, a bag containing traces of moon dust sold for $1.8 million at auction on Thursday following a galactic court battle, this article says. Really? The uh, collection bag used by Neil Armstrong during the first manned mission to the moon in 1969 was sold at Sotheby Auction uh, with items related to space voyages. The buyer declined to be identified. Presale estimate was between 2 to $4 million. It went for one point eight. So close. Wow. Yeah. Uh, moon dust is expensive. NASA fought to stop the auction. Yeah. The, the apparently the bag was discarded in a, go, a government auction. They were just in a box somewhere. They didn't look at it to just see what it was. Tossed it, and so someone found it. A woman bought it for uh, what it says here. Didn't say how much she bought it for, but it says December. A federal judge ruled that it legally belonged to a Chicago area woman who bought it in 2015 for 995 dollars. Oh, she scored That's a bargain. Yeah. Hey, where's got, that moon bag? But she went from 995 to 1.8 million. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's a good, good great return. investment. Yeah. Hey, and by the way, it shows you how uh, how great our government is giving that thing up. Whoops. <laughs> hey, where'd you guys put the moon bag with that? The moon dust? Is that moon dust? Is this the same as pixie dust? Like, is she yeah. going to be able to fly now? No, no. Moon dust is different. Well, just, I think you have to have happy thoughts. That's yeah. Isn't that the pixie dust? Yeah. The moon dust. You just have to have a moon bag. That's disappointing. And finally, I don't know if this is good news or bad news, but the Golden State Warriors are bringing the personal seat license to the NBA, and the fans and fans interested in purchasing them will be asked for a thirty-year commitment. A 30-year commitment to have a personal seat in the stadium. Now, the personal seat license is a 30-year commitment for you to be able to buy a seat. Oh. So you're you're purchasing the opportunity to purchase tickets. Oh, that well, that makes sense. While the pricing of the licenses has not been revealed, uh, ESPN cited a team of officials saying that uh, the team officials saying that the number of seats dedicated to the season ticket holders will decrease from 14,500 at Oracle Arena in Oakland to approximately 12,000 at Chase Center in San Francisco, their new building. Wow. So in other words, they're creating more demand by limiting how many seats are actually in this program. But then you have to buy – you have to have your, your licensing ticket to ensure that you get one of those 12,000 seats. Yes. The privately financed $1 billion Chase Center is scheduled to open in 2019. Half of the tickets will come with a per-seat cost of $15,000 or less, while the other half will cost more than that, according to ESPN. Hmm. The Warriors, in turn, will return the money paid for the right to purchase tickets after 30 years, thereby creating a personal seat license. The membership serves as an interest-free, tax-free loan to the team for three decades. Fans can transfer or opt out of the license prior to 30 years, but they will not receive their money back until year 30. You know, my home wow. viewing experience just got so much better. I know, totally. I was, Absolutely. The whole time I'm thinking, how much longer are we going to spend exorbitant amounts of money to see billionaires complain? Now, the NFL does this every single team for season tickets. Really? Yeah, you buy a seat license so that you're kind of hold your spot so you can have the opportunity to buy season tickets. 
Man, I miss just standing in line to get my ticket. <laughs> get ticket. Well, you can do that per game. Yeah, if you can get in. But you'd have to sit at the very top. Yeah. Just drop a few grand and get one of those 4K TVs the kids are talking about. Your kids are talking about TVs? It's crazy. Your They're kids are snobs. Young. They're TV snobs. Which your, your oldest is what? Six? Five. Five, yeah. It's like, Dad, this HD, I can't see everyone's pores. Just that one person. I need <laughs> yeah. everyone's That's pores. That's what I – I'm not loving all this high-def stuff because I really don't like seeing that much detail. I found 4K off-putting. Mm-hmm. Me too. We were. I was watching an episode of – they rebooted 24. And yeah. They canceled it because it was horrible. But they had <laughs> a scene there and it looked like somebody's home video. Really? Yeah, right? like you're, it was in fast-forward motion, right? Yeah, you're watching yeah. it like, this is so weird. I mean, it's not like – it yeah. doesn't look like TV. It looks like they just have a home video someone shot on their phone. Yeah, What's it's kind of nauseating. On? Plus, with all this high def, it's hard to like watch the view. It's just a lot of – there's a lot of view. You know, you know I mean? um, speaking of high def, yeah. Stephen Wright says that he has ADHD – wait, what did he say? ADHD. Really? Attention deficit high AD, definition? Yeah. High definition attention deficit disorder. Boy, that sounds horrible. HD, ADHD. That would have been better if I got it right. That's all right. Um, boy. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine what, what will be – at what level do we change and we say, you know what, no more high def or let's just leave it – let's just leave it deaf. No more high def. Like there's got to yeah, be – Yeah, deaf is enough. Yeah. Boy, it's crazy. We're, we're, we're making it happen, though, folks. That's the key to all of this. I'm partially deaf myself. Yeah. No, I remember the accident. Up next, uh, we are going to be talking about how we can better protect crowds from terrorism. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. I walked through the streets and I realized that everything. Unfortunately, terrorism has only continued to become more and more common over the last 10 years with uh, pretty much every form of terroristic acts from driving cars into crowds, uh, bombs, again, still going off in uh, highly uh, um, populated or, or busy areas. So we wanted to bring on an expert that could walk us through, help us understand how we could better protect uh, the, the country, the United States, from and protect our crowds better from terrorism. And here to help us do that is Robert Friedman, Professor Emeritus of Criminal Justice. And he's walking, he's going to walk us through um, an article he wrote on the conversation, how we can better protect crowds from terrorism. Robert, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, good morning. Uh, glad to be with you. Now, this is, I mean, we're, it seems like more and more, every day, almost every other day, uh, for a while, we were seeing some form of a terroristic attack. Do, do, do we sense, is this something that we can actually control? Or is there a way to, to mitigate this? Or at some point, we've either got to give up our freedom or give up, uh, or, or, you know, just stay indoors all the time? Uh, well, you, you're asking several questions, so let me take them one at a time, uh, with your permission. Uh, Please. I, I don't believe it is an either-or situation. I think that in the West, we shouldn't give up our liberties, but at the same time, we shouldn't give up security. In fact, uh, several years ago, there was a fairly big debate on uh, 
supercomputer uh, information system that required a lot of personal information, and many people objected to it because of uh, the invasion of privacy. So the problem is that if you only care about privacy and you don't care about security, you may not end up being secure. If you only care about security and you do not care about privacy, uh, you will lose the privacy. Mm. So eventually, if somebody is only looking at it in an either-or situation, we'll end up having none. Yeah, and that, that's my that's my personal concern. So, and I've, I've I've written about it several years ago. The article that you are talking about, I've written uh, in the aftermath of the Manchester bombing in in, in England, and I, I think you're right. Uh, there is a uh, an increase in terrorist activities that moved uh, uh, mostly from the Middle East and Central Asia now to uh, particularly Europe in the United States, and the problem is that they have been picking on what we call soft targets. Uh, that is, the vulnerable citizens who are uh, at uh, so-called the receiving end of uh, this, the unprotected, and uh, you can't make uh, a city an armed camp, um, and they take advantage of it. Yeah. So the solutions, the solutions are twofold. One is the short-term, the immediate solution, which means that you provide better protection. We see it at uh, airports. We see it at uh, big events. Uh, it wasn't that long ago that we could go to a baseball or a football or a basketball game or a concert without having our uh, uh, you know, briefcases or purses, depending on who, who is there, checked. Now you go to, to a show in New York or you go to a, a sports event in uh, Los Angeles and uh, everybody's checked. Right. Um, now, the system is not foolproof because even when you're checked, you can still smuggle stuff in. But I think we as a society are more cognizant of the need to be, uh, to be better protected. The real issue, I think, is the long-term uh, 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 fight against, uh, against terrorism, and that means fighting the ideology and the incitement that brings it about. Yeah, that's that, and that seems like a whole, that's a whole other uh, topic, really, because it's, there's so many, I mean, this is ideology, right? And it's, it's one thing it to protect uh, a stadium, it's another thing to, you know, eliminate a, an ideology and to make everybody feel so involved that they don't seek out an ideology like that. Well, the danger, you're right, and the danger here is that unlike the September 11 atrocity uh, that was very carefully planned, uh, not at a very big investment, but it was still carefully planned and carried out, what you have now is an ideology that inspires people to act individually without necessarily coordinating and initiating those activities. So I make the distinction between terrorist-initiated attacks and terrorist-inspired attacks. And mm. we see many more of the inspired attacks where somebody gets up in the morning and he has some sort of a beef with, you know, could be his boss or, or uh, you know, a fellow worker, and they'll take it out on them uh, in the hope that they'll go into the, you know, Hall of Fame of uh, terrorism, if right. you will. No, that, and, that's a great... That's a great delineation there because 
we do see more and more people being inspired by these things um, instead of actual maybe a terrorist doing it, performing it. Uh, yes, and that is far more difficult to control, yeah. which, which is what you started the conversation with, than uh, penetrating uh, active cells who are planning a, a careful, coordinated attack. Keep in mind, by the way, that the September 11, 2001 attack, um, all of those 19 hijackers did not have a criminal record, so it wasn't easy to... to uh, uh, foil that attack prior to it happening, but that's that's a sort of a different story. Now, what you have is somebody who could read an online uh, post, and keep in mind that 10, 15 years ago, there may have been you know a few dozen such sites. Today, there are between 10 to 12,000 mm. uh, such sites, and what they have in those is basically a cookbook, uh, pun somewhat intended, of you know how to make a bomb in your mother's kitchen, or how to take a you know a Ford 150 and uh, ram it uh, and ram it into somebody's uh, um, uh, you know uh, like yeah, si- yeah, yeah sidewalk cafe or whatever yeah. Well, yeah, and, and they even go to uh, what I call the Ben Hur uh, quality, where you have a chariot with uh, mm. so like uh, extensions where you can mow people down. Uh, and we've seen similar things in in Nice or in uh, you know in New York in Times Square, where the the guy, even though it's not defined as terrorism, I, I frankly have an issue with it not being defined as terrorism because. This guy must have been inspired to do that, so he may mm-hmm. not have adhered to the ideology, but he definitely, definitely adhered to the MO. Now, let me let me say something again. We're, we're speaking with Professor Emeritus of Criminal Justice, um, Robert R. Friedman, and he is the uh, he was at the Andrew Young School of Policy Studies at Georgia State University. But you also have an extensive background. You helped the Atlanta Olympics, the Salt Lake Olympics. You've been a security expert and advisor for years. Does does this does this level of terrorist activities, whether inspired or initiated, does it even surprise you how fast it's moving? Uh, no, I, I, admittedly, it doesn't. Uh, the the you know many people in the West are, are, are shocked and perhaps justifiably so. Uh, I try to connect the dots, and I see this as simply a sort of a shift in the international balance, uh, the arrangements that applied back in, you know, the early 20th century, where the British and French empires uh, divided the spheres of influence between them, uh, those arrangements no longer hold. Mm. And uh, that's part of what we see now in, in the Middle East, in the Middle Asia, and, and you know, in other places, uh, and then add to it the immediate availability of uh, social media. Uh, j- just to give you a, a, a and I'll, I'll be very careful about how I say this, but uh, keep in mind that uh, Hitler had a book called Mein Kampf. Mm-hmm. No social media, and yet it had a tremendous impact and basically changed how the 20th century looked like. 
Today, uh, you can have a teenager post a, an influential post somewhere, and it has an impact that is worldwide. Uh, that, that has never happened in world history. Hmm. Not at this speed, not at this volume. Yeah. And uh, that, that, that is a major issue. And uh, in fact, since you mentioned the Olympics, one of the reasons I got into this is because when Atlanta got the Olympics for 96, this was in 1990, I was uh, considering Munich of 72, the first terrorist attack on an Olympic uh, hmm. uh, venue. I mean, there were other kind of, 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 of crimes, but a major terrorist attack, that was in 1972. And, uh, uh, you know, the Olympics in L.A. in 1932, the, the security basically was like, a, you know, a couple of horse buggies and, you know, nothing serious. Yeah. Uh, and, and now you put in, uh, Tokyo is apparently going to put in uh, somewhere between three and six billion dollars just in security. Unbelievable. When you look at the United States um, and you, you look at it as far as uh, how, how serious, seriously it's taking these attacks and how we're prepared and preparing to handle other attacks, how do you rank us? How do you rate us? Uh, that's not an easy question, but let me maybe uh, respond to it that way. I would say we're doing far better than we did, say, around September 11, uh, but not, uh, not good enough. And I don't mean to be critical because the effort is genuine. Yeah. Part of the problem is that in the United States, the multi-jurisdictional structure of law enforcement sometimes is a prohibitive factor of a uh, you know good coordination. So we're doing much better in that regard these days uh, than you know 15, 16 years ago. Um, but there's still a lot of law enforcement agencies that cannot communicate beyond their jurisdiction. So there are task forces, there are coordinating bodies, uh, and the situation improves. But, uh, and it's not just in the United States. By the way, one of the reasons that uh, terrorists were very successful in, in France is because the intelligence information on terrorists is not, how shall I put it, up to date. Mm -hmm. Which means that you may have information that its shelf life has been dated. And it, its value is minimal. Uh, so in order to, uh, uh, to fight particularly organized and initiated terrorist cells, uh, you need to know where the terrorists are. And even the British intelligence services admitted that they have somewhere around 2,500 active uh, uh, investigations on potential terrorists. Mm. But they know that there are probably more out there. And it took the British quite a while to start focusing on incitement. There's a um, radical uh, uh, cleric in London who threatened the uh, royal wedding and the Olympic Games. And uh, only recently, uh, his incitement was uh, so severe that uh, he, was, he was put to uh, the charges filed. Hmm. Um, and, and I think in that sense, uh, the, the, the British government is a bit ahead of us. Um, I think we, we have a problem that we don't know how to deal with incitement because we're afraid that if we deal with it, it will violate the First Amendment of people. Right, right. And, um, 
you know, I'm I'm as much for the First Amendment as anybody else. But that uh, I think we need to find ways in which to to uh, protect the public. And the first responsibility of a country is to protect its citizens. Absolutely. We're speaking again with Robert R. Friedman, uh, Professor Emeritus of, the, of Criminal Justice from um, Georgia State University. And uh, up next, we're going to continue the journey trying to understand how we can better protect ourselves in crowds, what we should be looking for, and uh, when it comes to it, and really in the end, uh, how to live a healthier life, a safer life, when there's still threats of terrorism. That's all up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Robert R. Friedman is joining us. He is the uh, Professor Emeritus of Criminal Justice at the Andrew Young School of Policy Studies at Georgia State University. Also um, is the founding director of the Georgia International Law Enforcement Exchange, which has been consulting and advising on on really major events like uh, the Atlantic Olympics, the Salt Lake City Olympics, and others trying to do what he can to make it safer for our crowds, for our people as they gather from any threats of terrorism. Robert, thank you again for being with us today. Glad to be. What what changes do you see coming to the United States to protect crowds and to I mean I was just at an event the other night at a at a it was a huge event but at a church setting where they had to actually go take you through security, they had to check everyone's bags. I mean, the the bigger the group seems like the bigger the target. Well, that's uh, unfortunately it's true, and the reason is that uh, uh, large crowds are becoming uh, uh, quote unquote popular targets for terrorists because what they want to do is cause as much mayhem as possible. So, if you look at uh, terrorist attacks such as in uh, Brussels or Manchester. Uh, the, the the recent attacks or the, those in the United States, whether it's in uh, San Bernardino or, or Orlando or elsewhere, um, they look at where you have the most people, the, the, the Bataclan uh, attack in Paris and the, the soccer stadium in Paris. So I think it's not surprising that uh, um, authorities are trying their best to uh, mitigate uh, that by uh, putting up um, uh, magnetometers and uh, check-ins at uh, large events. So the days where you could have gone to the airport and pick up a family member or friend from the gate uh, are long over. Now you have to wait at the arrival lounge. Mm. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that there are no weak spots and that we are all fully protected. But I think what's important in uh, protecting against terrorism is that First of all, people need to be aware of uh, situational awareness is, is, is key. Um, lots of people walk in the street uh, aimlessly uh, or uh, they particularly walk without being alert to the environment. Um, and uh, probably several lives would have been saved if people would have paid attention to what happened in uh, New York in Times Square when the car started 
uh, ramming pedestrians uh, on 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 the pavement. Yeah. So so I think that it gives us a sense of control. Not everybody wants it because there's some sort of a responsibility. Uh, so where you sit, uh, what's your field of view, uh, um, what is different or, or, or changing in the environment, whether it's a streetscape or, or, or a cityscape, it's very important to pay, to pay attention to it on a regular basis. And if you are suspicious, uh, in, in my book, there's no foolish suspicion. Hmm. Only foolish suspicion is the one that you do not report. report. So if you see something that uh, you don't feel comfortable about it, uh, report it to a law enforcement officer. That's the, uh, you know, the, the, the number one advice I would give to everyone. And I have made mistakes myself by misidentifying someone. Uh, and I'd rather make that mistake, which is less critical, than by not reporting somebody who might, in fact, uh, cause harm at a later time. Mm. Well, and especially with with the um, addition of technology, cell phones, and now people are walking down the street looking at their phone, not paying attention to their right. life. Um, right. I mean, I think one thing this does do is, I mean, it makes us all more aware when we hear of some of these uh, the the accidents and I mean the terroristic acts that are taking place, but yet really um, this is something that many countries have been living with for a long time. It's new, I think, more new to us in the United States. But Israelis have been doing it. Uh, people in the UK have been uh, had terrorist threats regularly. So is this just part of the new norm? Uh, as difficult as it's say. Uh I, I tend to agree with that. I think that uh, the trend is more upward in that regard. I don't mean to be uh, gloomy, but I want to be realistic. The problem here is that we're dealing with people who uh, see themselves as having an entitlement to kill. Mm. And when you have that kind of an attitude, it is very, very difficult uh, to change. That's why I suggested that the long-term uh, uh, fight uh, is uh, against the ideology that generates it. And yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll share one one uh, uh, one anecdote with with you and the and the, and the listeners. Um, in September uh, of last year, I was invited to give uh, um, a couple of briefings on to commemorate September 11. And at the end of the uh, uh, the talk. Uh, we had, which was, by the way, supported by a, an alliance of various community groups, uh, Christians, Muslims, Jewish, and so on. And one of the uh, Muslim attendees came up to me and he said that uh, he was very impressed with the talk, but he would really like me not to talk much about the Islamic State. Uh, and I said, well, you know, it's a reality. That's the name that they call themselves. He said, why don't you use the term Daesh, which in Arabic means Islamic State? So I told him that that's exactly what it is in Arabic. He says, yes, but when you say it in English, it doesn't have the word Islamic, and it sounds better. Hmm. So I looked at him, and I said, you are uncomfortable about something that I said that is factually true. Why don't you be uncomfortable with what they do and complain to them? Why are you complaining to me? What did he say? (laughs) He was shocked. Yeah, he, he was really shocked, and 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 I think that the issue is that 
you know, there's a limit to being politically correct because, you know, I can be nice and polite and, and not mention it, but looking away doesn't change the reality. And the fact is that they themselves say that they have the entitlement to kill people who are not like them. And by the way, most of their victims are Muslim. They're not Christians, not Jews. Most of them are Muslim because they're not Muslim enough according to their definition. Um, so this is, a, this is a fight that is much, much bigger than a uh, specific uh, you know, point of defense at one point or at another point. It is, it is a, uh, an effort that needs to be uh, clearly focused on uh, not accepting this entitlement. And uh, I think that uh, much of this change has to come from within the communities that produce it. Uh, you know, we can tell somebody that we don't like that ideology. That's not going to have any effect on them. Well, and, and then like you were saying earlier, um, so uh, Muslim or not, it's also inspiring others to to act out aggressively and, and you know, and feeling entitled to kill and I mean, then anybody with a cause now could could take on the same techniques, could take on the same activity. Uh, unfortunately, that's very true. Mm. Is there so? But the the hope is, I mean, I, I guess uh, that eventually we might be able, we might finally address in the war on terror, the actually the war on ideology and the war on. Uh, I mean, maybe some would even say political correctness at the expense of our safety it is as a citizen, I can be aware, I can pay attention. Is there anything else I can do to uh, also help with the war on ideology and 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 do what I can to make this country safer? Just one correction. When you say the war on ideology, it's a war on a specific ideology. It's yeah. not a war against any, any ideology. ideology. Right, exactly, yeah. 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 So, so uh, yes, actually, this is the type, this is where I'm most optimistic in the, in the battle against terrorism, because you don't need to be 18-year-old, uh, fully equipped with military gear, running, uh, you know, in mountains and jumping from helicopters. You can be, um, you know, a retired citizen. You can be, uh, you know, even in a... You know, retirement home, and when you go to the supermarket and you see something that you don't like, you can talk about it. You can argue about it. I think it's time to have the discussion out by not shying away from it, because I respect any ideology that uh, allows to live, and, you know, it's basically live and let live. But if that ideology tells me that my existence is questioned because I'm not like somebody else, uh, I'm not going to take it uh, kindly at all because my existence is not questionable. Hmm. Yeah, and I guess that, that's what it comes down to. In the end, you can also um, – you can still to some degree respect uh, and, and love other religions, other ways of seeing life and still stand up and question when you see things that – that aren't right, things that are out of sorts. So we appreciate it. Professor Emeritus of Criminal Justice, uh, Robert Friedman, thank you so much for your time, your insight, and helping us uh, see a little bit uh, better how to live safer, healthier, lasting lives, lives that that don't have to have so much fear in them. Uh, Up next, we're going to continue the journey, continue looking at the empty news and doing what we can to help you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier lives. Stick with us. 
Welcome back, my friends. Happy Friday to you. You know, it's kind of, uh, it's a downer. It's stressful to think about terrorists that might ruin a good football game or sporting event. And can you imagine being the president of the United States who has to deal with all of this and has to, I mean, how do you not just freak out, stress out? So Terry has uh, found some pretty, I think, uh, wonderful solutions for presidents and I guess all of us to de-stress. Now, this is from The Economist. They specifically look at presidents. Yeah. And what set them apart from each other and something, you know, little little things that were specific were the pets that they had. Oh, really? Right? Yeah. So every president has had a pet of some kind. The most common pet was a dog. Most had dogs. Well, Not yeah. all of them, but right. most of them did, which is a fairly common animal to have. I mean, it's hard. Like, I think it'd be hard to have a, a presidential pet that's like a badger. President Obama has had two dogs. Yeah. President Bush had three dogs, mm-hmm. a cat, and a cow named Olifia. <laughs> uh, President Clinton had a cat and a dog. Yeah. Bush the uh, – By the way, that dog I, that dog licked my hand. That's right. Bush the first, yeah. as we'll call him, he had two dogs. President Reagan had one, two, three, four, five, six dogs. Wow. He and had a horse. three dogs. <laughs> so they've all had pets. Yeah. President Trump, no pets. Maybe if he had a pet, he'd you know not he's, feel he's the. Got, I mean, he's got he's got Steve Bannon. He's what? got. <laughs> Usually, you get a pet when you're not home a lot, so your family has something to you yeah. know love. But you know, I think they're used to not seeing him. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. President Kennedy, Kennedy had a bunch of dogs, several cats, three birds, uh, uh, a, four horse, five horses, and two alligators, and a partridge in a pear tree. Yeah, it's nuts. And then, oh, he had an alligator? Or no, that was, uh, yeah. Who? The, the Ken- I said Kennedy had alligators, but so did Hoover. Really? Yeah. And then Coolidge, President Coolidge had a hippo. His name was Billy. Wow. Roosevelt had an entire, as it says in the article, a menagerie of Yeah, of course he did. Of animals. He had a hyena named Bill and uh, a black bear named Jonathan Edwards. Wait, were these live animals yes. or are these ones that he stuffed? No wonder they put mounted. a fence around the White House. <laughs> That's right. That's crazy. Uh, Harrison had two possums. Just because, I guess. Um, Lincoln had uh, two goats. One was named Nanny and the other one named Nanko. Well, yeah, to do the lawn. Right. Right. Jefferson apparently had two grizzly bear cubs. Trump is missing out. He's missing out, yeah. What's his – does he not like animals? I don't know. Maybe they weren't allowed in Trump Tower. That's probably it. There's a rule. He wants to get his deposit back at the end of his uh, term on his lease. Well, that's probably why he goes golfing is to get out into nature and to see some calming animals. He doesn't go golfing. The White House has not yet confirmed in the last six months if he's actually gone golfing That's. Yet. I guess that's why he – that's why he goes to his places that he they, owns that are golfing establishments. They say he's having meetings, and then he gets in a golf cart and drives away. That pet deposit at the White House is brutal. It oh, is. brutal. I know. And they'll ruin – you don't want the dogs ruining your carpet or but, your possum. But maybe that could be a way that a, a president yeah. can decompress as you have an animal that runs in, and you can play with it for a totally. few minutes. No, that's great. Yeah. See? There's ways, folks. Get an animal, for heaven's sakes. Up next, uh, we're going to be talking about how thank you notes may change your state of mind. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio.
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Friday to you. Yes! You made it another week, and we are so proud of you. Glad that we could be along with you for the ride on that one. Today, we'll get you through the show and then get you uh, into our wonderful um, screen cleaning uh, segment, hour-long with Jeffrey Simpson, talking about how to clean your telephone screen. Is that right, Jeff? Is that what we're Wrong. Doing? Okay. Sorry, Mr. Trump. No, we're actually going to hear from Rod Gustafson today, who is uh, reviewing Dunkirk. Mm. And I told him, I said, don't say much of anything about it because I don't want to know. I want to go in blind and enjoy the film for myself. Well, you know they die at the end, right? You know that. How could you? Yeah. They all die. They die well, by air, they die by land, they die by they're, sea. They're survivors. The story was told. That's no. how they have the info. Stop no, it! I think they phoned that in. They phoned it in? They phoned it in, and then they wrote the, You're a monster. They wrote the show from the phoning in of the people. There. La, 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 la. So you're going to leave the show, and then you're going to go right to Dunkirk. Yeah. With the, with the missus. Yes. Is this your first date since the baby's uh, the baby was born it's our first in the movie. lobby of the hospital? <laughs> it's our first movie since then. Okay, so it's exciting. This is way exciting. Did you want uh, Did you want a marriage coach to come around to come with you? Maybe help you guys negotiate. Ooh, he could give you tips. I could maybe sit between you two. Maybe give you some It'd pointers. Be... You just want the popcorn, don't you? Totally. Wouldn't it be more effective if you were like one row behind? Oh, that's a but great But leaning idea. forward, kind of your head yeah. in between them so you could listen uh-huh. as they converse. And listen you to your conversation. Tips. I'm like, Jeff, hold her hand now. Hold her hand. Right. You know, I, I can guarantee you this is exactly how the conversation will go during the previews. We're sitting there during the previews. Yeah. What's going to happen? My wife tilts her head over to me and asks, what movie are we seeing again? <laughs> she can never Dunkirk. remember. Dunkirk. We're watching Dunkirk. I hear they all die. By land, by air, by sea. Hmm. That's what I've heard. See, I mean, the, I've watched the trailer. The conversation during trailers through the last few movies my wife and I have seen is, this emoji movie is going to be stupid. Because it, <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's going to be dumb. But it looked yeah. funnier than I thought it would be. I will say really? that. An emoji movie is funny? You have Stephen Wright okay. as one of the emojis. Okay. You have Patrick Stewart as another one. I won't mention which one. Okay. And uh, he's you know. the best one. Yes, yeah, everybody's favorite. Well, who wears a bow tie? It sounds. It's, <laughs> <he> really. <laughs> that's why you're going to want to listen in one hour. Screen cleaning will be up with Jeff Simpson. We will not be talking about Jeffrey the emoji Williams. movie. Good, but we will be talking about Dunkirk. Even the other movie that came out today, Valerian and the City of One Hundred something or other. Planets, yeah. I wow. can't remember. I think some of the the names of these movies are getting a little strange. Well, that's actually a French comic book, the Valerian one. So oh, it's a little it? different. Yeah. Not and really. Dunkirk was a real event. Yeah. So here they all die. Hmm. I haven't seen it. Didn't read much about it, but I've heard. Hey, it's junk food day, by the way. Today's the day you get to celebrate all things of junky food nature. Hmm. Anything you want, 
that is junk food, today is the day you can do it morally, ethically, legally, get it on, we can put just it in your mouth. Cram it all in. Consume it. Mm-hmm. Wow. I'm getting me some Twinkies and some spray cheese. Oh. You know what? If you stick it, if you stick the spray cheese into the Twinkie yeah. and, and get some, you can get some cheese Twink, which is does really it, good. Does it displace the cream filling? Yeah. Ooh. But you can just suck that out and just yeah. replace it with cheese. Wow. You know, you are eerily close to one of Weird Al Yankovic's favorite snacks, the Twinkie Wiener Sandwich. So you cut open the Twinkie, yeah. you put in the hot dog, yeah. and then you do the spray cheese on top. Wow. Wow, sounds fantastic. All I need is a hot dog. Ready to go. <laughs> well, and a, and a defibrillator. Well, there's that. To heat it up after you're done. That actually sounds interesting. Does it? Now that I think about it more. Junk food. In fact, you're going to do a review of uh, how ballparks around the country are slowly trying to kill their fans. No, I, yeah. I, I went through a few of those as the baseball season started. Yeah. Then last night I saw something new from the Miami Marlins Ooh. that took me back. I was like, whoa, that, that's a game changer right Fish there. Fish tacos? No. Well, as you brought up earlier, there are going to be fewer season tickets available in some of these sporting uh, arenas. Right. So maybe they're they really are trying to kill them off so that more seats can become available. Well, man, that's it. That's it. That's what they're trying to do: kill their fans. Hey, uh, today we're also going to be talking with a man that has written five thank you notes a day for nearly a year, like four fifths of a year or so. Right. And. The lessons he's learned by being so thankful and grateful and actually communicating it to people. I thought that would be a really neat idea and I was gonna I was gonna delegate it to our producers, to you, mm. to then delegate to somebody delegate else. Delegate it to someone else. Work, yeah. Um that maybe we ought to be writing hand uh handwritten thank you notes to all of the guests Ooh. that have ever been on the show it's ever. It's a, a lot of postage. Yeah. I wouldn't look at it that way. I'd look at it's a lot of positivity. Oh, and postage. Yeah, that's kind of the negative way to see it. I see it more as just, hey, that's just a lot of good memories. Mm. Yeah. So anyway, okay. if you can just make that happen, that'd be great. Sure. And Jeff said he'd he'd lick the envelopes. I'll run that up the flagpole, as they say. Yeah. Actually, there's you don't need to really run it up. Oh. Just I'd run it down the pole. <laughs> okay. Because we're kind of at the, we're kind of at near the top of the pole. This is true. Yeah. So just run it down. And uh, today we've got some great um, empty news for you as well. Be careful. Be careful. I know you watch Dancing with the Stars. I know you watch all these dance shows. But if you're trying to recreate the Dirty Dancing lift, the couple where the the guy lifts the the gal in Dirty Dancing and spins her around, be careful. Because be careful. Just be careful. Uh, And we'll get to why. um, Gravity can be so mean. So mean Mm. and be careful. That's all we can think to say. Wear a helmet. If you're going to have a dance at your wedding and you're thinking you're going to like spin your partner, wear a helmet. Mm. And and be careful. Or or someone pointed out practice. Practice would help. (laughs) Maybe do some exercise. Yeah. Before you choose to start dancing. And if I, I was told in the Dirty Dancing movie, they uh, they practiced in a pool mm. before they actually performed the, the move that we're, we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Well, and maybe have a cutoff age, too. Just decide after this age, I'm not going to attempt this. Yeah. Right. Like, especially any uh, once you start getting, you know, dizzy mm. spells. Yeah. Anytime your inner ears maybe not working quite the way it should, wear a helmet. Watch your age. 
Do a little exercise. Stretch. Stretch for right. sure. <laughs> and be careful. All of that. We'll get to it. We'll get to that advice. Plus, how many times really should you call 911 in a day? Or, over, you know. Seven how? times seven. Okay. That's mm. a scriptural term, I believe. Right. Uh, and also, what is the last thing you want giving birth in the backseat of your convertible? Wow, that's a great discussion topic. Those are called teases. And we have now officially teased you. We <laughs> Give us a minute. We'll get to all those stories. But first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what should we be wor- worried about? O.J. Simpson? He's going to be paroled in October. Yeah. Wait he said, he's your Uber driver. He said, we should be worried about that. He said during the hearing that he had led a conflict-free life. Huh? Um, conflict-free? Yeah. He was asked about whether he would have violent tendencies after his potential release. He says, I've always thought... I've been a pretty pretty good with people. I basically have lived a conflict-free life. You know, I'm not a guy that ever got in a fight on the street and uh, with the public and everybody. I've just been a great guy. I think he meant conscience, conscious free. No, he said conflict, yeah. conscience, conscience free, free. Yeah. conscience free. So that was one of the lines. Weird. That, That's like maybe he doesn't remember a part of his life. I don't know. These are just these are just things that were said yesterday during okay. the parole hearing. Okay. Cows have given humanity cheese, steak, and milk, and now the bovine species might help scientists develop a vaccine against HIV. Wow. A study published Thursday in the Journal of Nature explained that while cows can't contract HIV, they can produce antibodies to block infections like HIV, providing scientists with a long-sought-after opportunity to better understand how the immune system develops such antibi- uh, antibodies. One of the biggest conundrums for researchers working to develop HIV vaccine is figuring out why people with HIV do not produce enough effective antibodies to battle the virus. I think it's obvious. But cows do. I know, but so what's the answer? Eat more cow. Eat more meat. Is that what it is? I think if we ate more meat... Or should we eat like cows? No. No? That's not what it is? Have you seen what cows eat? I'm just asking questions. I'd I'd like to eat cows. (laughs) Eat more cow. Eat, eat more cow. It's It should probably say eat more meat, but I think eat more cow has kind of a different ring to it's it. It's more specific. Mm-hmm. Eat more cow. <laughs> Yesterday, uh, Elon Musk appeared to have jumped the gun Ooh. when he announced some very exciting news for his boring company. Now, boring not as in it's boring, but boring and digging holes in the earth oh, company. Oh, boring. Okay. He, he tweeted out, just received verbal government approval for the boring company to build an underground New York, Philadelphia, Baltimore, D.C. hyperloop. Wow. Mm? Which is like an underground subway. Yeah, sounds... Except super fast, because it would get you from New York to D.C. in 29 minutes. Sounds boring. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but building the tunnel to blast passengers and pods under several states would require vast amounts of permits from relevant authorities and government agencies in the cities and states involved, and they hadn't approved anything of any kind whatsoever. Does does it worry anybody else that we're going to be boring a hole yeah. underneath four of our biggest cities? The Guardian reports that spokespeople at several agencies laughed at the suggestion that such a massive project could be approved verbally. Hey, yeah, I think we're good to go. You <laughs> want to start boring? Just do that. Just knock that down. That's crazy. But right now, Am- an Amtrak train on that, that route takes almost three hours. Oh, so wow. So cutting that to 29 minutes would be huge. That would be fantastic. But Plus, it, you get to shoot. They had little names for them. What are they shooting? Little, uh, they had a funny name for what these the vessel, the, the vehicles are going to be the called. The pods? Yeah, you're going to shoot a pod. Yeah. 
right from like philadelphia it's, to dc it's electromagnetic so. yeah that'll be super hey and what go- could go wrong there they're, they're testing it in california millions of pod people what could go wrong yeah this is gonna get mm. ugly yeah this but yeah, it's an idea he's just trying it but apparently he got a little excited everyone's gonna come out of it like magnetized yeah haven't you ever seen invasion of the body snatchers yeah. that had pod people in it yeah that's gross true to her nickname julia hurricane hawkins who's 101 Wow. Set a new national record for the 100-meter dash last week as she stormed across the finish line at the USA Track and Field Outdoors Masters Championships. The Louisiana great-grandmother was the oldest female athlete to complete compete in the championships held in Baton Rouge, and she saved six seconds off the current record for women ages 100 or older, <laughs> clocking in at 40 seconds. Holy cow. The former school teacher who swears by her healthy diet only took up running after her 100th birthday. She's 101. She's been running one year. Yeah. And it was pretty nonchalant about her accomplishment. She says, I missed my nap for this. Wow. (laughs) Sounds like Jeff. Maybe maybe the inflection was, I missed my nap for this? (laughs) How funny is that, though? I mean, how many people are competing in the 100 and older category? These are not important details. It's the fact that she did it, not the fact that she probably ran against one other person. Her jazzy was not involved. No. She ran. That's amazing. That's great. Congratulations. The 42nd record. I'm pretty sure nothing of mine will be running when I'm 101. <laughs> no. Nothing. Nothing. No. Not even like my watch. Right. Yeah, that's sad. Sad to think of it that way. Any other news? Uh, so we were talking about junk food. Uh-huh. The Miami Marlins. Yeah. They can get, they, they're offering a twist on an old ballpark favorite, as it says, the Taco Dog. Taco dog. Footlong Nathan's hot dog. Mm. So it's topped with chili, oh. pepper jack cheese, yes. pico de gallo, mm-hmm. shredded cabbage, mm. jalapenos, yes. all on a tortilla. Hold on. Why are we putting cabbage on it? Yeah. Kind of Roughage. Tortilla. So it's on a tortilla. Yeah. So you got a big footlong hot dog in a tortilla with all this stuff. So it's like a taco, oh, but then you put a hot yeah. dog in it. Why is my chest tightening and my left arm tingling? It does look odd. You're the doctor. Because they don't fold the tortilla around the hot dog. It's kind of folded flat and the hot dog's in there. But mm. kind of a, the presentation looks a little messy. But, I mean, it's, it's ballpark food. Yeah. I mean, you're not going there to, you know, to survive. <laughs> Apparently, they're trying to kill you. <laughs> You're looking for a cardiac event. Okay. The what's the name of that thing? It's called the Taco Dog. They didn't really waste a lot of time on marketing it either. Taco Dog. <laughs> what should we call it? Call it Taco Dog on a tortilla. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. Taco Dog on a tortilla. Okay. I'll buy it. You'll buy that it's one? It's probably like $19. Yeah, it probably is. But, uh, I mean, your cardiologist will cost yeah. half that. Sure. <laughs> and you're really just welcoming the, the, the second option yeah. there. So you're good. That's really good. Hey, before we uh, take a break, we've got to tell you again a warning to be to be safe. A UK couple tried to recreate the famous lift from Dirty Dancing for their wedding and ended up landing on themselves. And that then took them to the emergency room. Bride to be Sharon Price and fiance Andy Price were left unconscious when a practice attempt at the iconic scene spectacularly flopped. The pair Uh, has watched the 80s cult classic more than 30 times and wanted to do the lift on their big day, just like Jennifer Grey leaping into the arms of Patrick Swayze. 
52-year-old Sharon ran at 51-year-old Andy and was ready for him to hoist her above his head. But Sharon winded up herself. uh, um, Sharon winded herself and winded. Oh, is that winded? Sorry. Sharon winded herself. She was all winded. She couldn't breathe. Struggling for breath. And Andy then uh, hit his head so hard that he was knocked out. So in the end, ugh. She was winded. He's knocked out. And the pair were left um, flat out on the grass as relatives took photos, wondering, oh, boy, did the bride and groom just die? I don't remember this version of the movie where they died. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember that. Yeah, dirty dancing. That's a different kind of, like, deadly dancing. The pair, um, anyway, they, they realized the situation was serious. They called an ambulance to the scene, and then the two were rushed to the hospital. This is the ending to Dirty Dancing you don't remember. Yeah, this is the alternate ending. It didn't it didn't screen well for test audiences. Right. It was their all-time favorite movie, but it ended up not looking, anymore. No, no, it looked more like <laughs> at the end of a Rocky movie. Um, Sharon said doctors at the hospital laughed when she told them how the accident happened. So the rule is give up some of your dreams about Dirty Dancing. A B, wear a helmet if you're going to be receiving, uh, if, if a bride's going to jump into your arms and you're supposed to spin her around. C, make sure you're in good enough shape that you can run the 10 feet so you don't get winded. Exactly. Uh, J, have an ambulance crew standing by so you don't you can decrease the response time. Did you just use numbers and letters in yeah. that list? And nine. Okay. Maybe it's better to just slow dance. A nice, comfortable slow dance. Nothing so risky. There was a lot of other dancing in the film that took place on the ground. Yeah. You, I mean, uh, there was flash dance where she danced in a chair. Maybe what they could do is just sit in chairs. Well, that was kind of a different movie and not with the same stars. Yeah, I'm just bringing up other dance movies okay. that we all love. Okay. That's how that works. Do we? Yeah. Okay. Well, we... Air quotes. Hmm. Yeah. So anyway, be careful, folks. Buckle up. Get a chair. Wear a helmet. And uh, maybe sit it out. Just some advice from the Matt Townsend Show. We're here to help. That's our goal. Up next, we're going to be talking about one man's mission to write five thank you notes a day for one year. And we're going to learn about the impact it had on his life. And uh, the lessons learned. That's all next right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Writing thank you cards is typically a task that people do after big occasions, right? Birthdays, weddings, graduations, maybe after a baby shower, just to name a few. That's why for most, sitting down and writing thank you notes, it's it's kind of a difficult task, isn't it? And, uh, you know, you got to do it because these people have given you so much joy and, and uh, presence at times. So joining us to, to talk about... Um, an undertaking that he has he has been working on is John Israel. He is uh, a man that has decided and has taken on the mission to write five thank you note cards per day for one straight year. He is on currently day 284 of the challenge, 
and uh, which means he has written 1,825 thank you notes. He's here today to talk about uh, his reason and rationale behind this and also the lessons learned. John, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. What on earth started this? What made you think, I need to start writing thank you notes? <laughs> yeah, because uh, like you acknowledge, it's, it's a bit of a cumbersome thing for a lot of people just sitting down and writing thank you notes. So it stemmed back from this experience I had uh, about 10 years ago when I was, uh, I was in my early 20s, and I was going through a lot of personal growth and, and just really you know, going to that next stage of my life. And I was at this point where um, I was driving my, my then-girlfriend, now-wife, to the airport at 5.30 in the morning, and which is obviously a very exciting task, right? <laughs> right. And nor- normally you're upset and annoyed, but because of all the growth that I've been going through, I was just really present. For some reason, I was just present to a lot of gratitude for my life and everything that was going on in it. And I just had this sense of, and I just need to tell people like how much I appreciate them and their contribution in my life, especially mostly like the leaders, the uh, mentors I've had in my life, teachers in the past, and I spent about three hours just writing, you know, thank you notes and emails and sending them out to these people. And just that experience of expressing gratitude, not just like writing it in a journal for myself, but physically doing it as an expression for other people hmm. was was really uh, pretty life-changing in that moment. And I remember writing them was amazing, but when I started getting feedback from everybody, it, it was just it like multiplied the effect. And I remember distinctly feeling if I could feel like this every day, I would just die happy. I mean, that that is the life to live. So uh, fast forward 10 years in my business right now. So by trade, I am a gift salesman. So I work for Cutco Closing Gifts. And basically what I do is I sell gifts for a living to uh, to realtors, loan officers. They give away to their clients as a thank you. Hmm. And I made this mission at the beginning of the year that you know, we want to have a big mission with our, our life and our, uh, our businesses. So I made this mission that who I am is I'm committed to elevating the level of gratitude on the planet. Wow. So not just like, I'm, not just I write, I sell gifts to people, but I wanted to have a bigger mission that for me would really drive me. So I did that. It was great. Business went well for a, for a year. And then I remember uh, distinctly having this experience of, you know, if people were to, to ask a uh, about John Israel, like, what do you know about John Israel? They might say some nice things, but I don't think the word gratitude would really be a word that comes up. So I thought, how can I embody the actual gratitude, my mission to elevate the level of gratitude on the planet, myself, personally? And I just went back to that experience of writing thank you cards, and I was like, what would be a cool challenge for me? Because I'm all about daily habits. Mm-hmm. So I thought about what would be a habit I could have every day that would inspire me to stay in that grateful state and so I thought, what if I committed to writing thank you notes every day? Hmm. And uh, that, that's kind of how it started. And then there's some other things that how we narrow down to five a day and other stuff like that. But that's really how it began. How, how long does each note on average take you to write? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, each note, I, I don't know distinctly on the per note, but on a daily basis, it takes me about an hour and a half. Does it really? I mean, because you probably have to track some people down. I know some of the notes uh, – it it would be notes that you wanted to thank people that made an impact in your life, past teachers. So you probably had to track them down. Yeah, it's uh, that that is probably one of the hardest parts is, is getting people's address. I still have about uh, you know a hundred cards or so that are unclaimed at this point, so I still need to get those out. 
God is amazing. I mean, it, it really uh, you can feel the spirit of it, John, and and what you, you know your goals behind it, your your intent behind it. Talk about some of the the notes that have meant the most to you, and and have you heard back from people? Yeah. <clears throat> so on day three, so this started in on, on October tenth uh, of this last year, and of uh, twenty sixteen. So I remember distinctly day three, I was flying uh, from California to Philadelphia for a dad's retreat with some entrepreneurial fathers that I know and I'm in a network with. And, and we, I wanted to make that, it was day three, so I was, on a, I was on a lot of flights. I had two flights going from L.A. To, to Philly. So I was like, you know, when I'm on a plane, before I take off, I always pray for safe travel. Hmm. Right? That's the first, I, I'm a father, I have two young boys, wife, I want to make sure I come home safe. So I also realized I never talked to the pilots, but really they're responsible for that. I thought, wow, what an interesting job. You know, you're a pilot. You never talk to these passengers you see. You're flying them all around the country for important, distinct reasons, and you don't ever know why. Yeah. So I said, I said you know, today I'm going to write my cards to the pilots on my plane. So I, uh, I, when I got on the plane, there's two legs. So I had four pilots to write cards to for the day. So when I get on the plane, I ask the stewardess uh, for... Uh, the or the flight attendant for uh, the names of the pilots, which, by the way, is kind of a, a weird thing. They're like, yeah, the names like of the why? Pilots. What are so, you going to do? <laughs> right. Yeah. So so I did tell her, I'm like, OK, I'm writing. I write thank you notes to the pilots. And she's like, oh, that's so nice of you. Here's their names. So I got their names and I sit down. And, and how do you write a thank you card to somebody that you don't know? Right. That's that's the that's the interesting challenge that I come up with often. So I try to think of what is their life like? What What do I not know about pilots that might be true? So what I do know is that they, they fly us all around, the, all, all around the world every single week, literally thousands of people, safely, and that's their job. It's not like they're a bus driver. Like, they literally, well, I guess bus drivers too, but they, they, have, a, they hold, have people's lives in the palm of their hand. So I just acknowledge, like, what it's like to be a pilot and thanking them for flying us all around the country. And I also realized that crazy hours. So I made note of, you know, you're probably missing a lot of family events really just to make sure we get to see our families. And, you know, you have hundreds of hours you've been uh, through flight school just to do what you do. And I just want to say thank you because I don't know how often you receive it, but I just want you to know from me on behalf of everybody on the plane, we appreciate all that you do. Oh, that's cool. So that is I so cool. And, and, but, you're so thinking, but, but it impacts you, doesn't it? Not to inter- interrupt, John, but it impacts you because you're starting to actually probably take you – know, you're starting, starting to have compassion uh, for these pilots and actually care. Yeah, that, that that is a when you when there's when you talk about the impact, like how is that how has this impacted my life individually? That would probably be the word. You just create this deep sense of compassion and empathy for who people are and really what they go through. Because part of the challenge is really to pause and to to look at an individual and find like what's beautiful about them, what you can, what's great about this individual. You, you essentially become a good finder. Hmm. So as a habit in life, just if that was a daily habit, I mean, how would that change your life? So, and that's, that's what uh, kind of led me on this journey is there's this great book called um, the, uh, I think it's called The Habit Factor, or uh, I forgot what it's called, but they, they talk, he talks about keystone habits. And keystone habits are habits in your life that affect the way that your life goes. And so... When I thought about what would be a habit that would affect other areas of my life, writing thank you cards, it, when you have the habit of finding the beauty and the joy of every day, and 
as an to the individuals, but not just noticing it, but as an expression and letting people know that it's totally transformative in how you feel and also how you act throughout the day. Mm. And so, uh, yeah, you've become the good finder. And so that probably, I guess, I mean, the, in positive psychology, that says you're you're looking for the good. When you look for the good, you find the good. When you find the good, you now have a habit of being appreciative. Yeah, and, and so here's what happened with the pilots. So I write the notes, and I get off the plane, and I hand it to the pilots. And they're always a little startled. They're like, oh, okay, thanks. They have no idea if it's like a tip or what <laughs> So uh, I, now I have specific thank you cards for my business that have like my name and my contact info, and that's all I had at the time. So that's what I, I that's what I wrote their their card on. Within 24 hours, Matt, three out of the four pilots personally emailed me to thank me for the card they received. Wow! And one of them said, "In my 12 years as a pilot, I've never received a thank you card." Mm. And so to me, hearing that, I was I saw that the world is really hurting for appreciation. Yeah. That that's just one job. How many people out there have jobs in the service industry where they're really there to serve people? Almost all of us are. But when we don't hear that feedback, it can become this mindless like, well, okay, we'll just we're doing our job. But when you acknowledge and notice what someone's doing, you, you bring a sense of purpose to their day. Yeah. How do they go into that task the next time they do it? They bring a little different flavor to it, some passion, some, some care, because they know people are watching. And that's one of the big impacts that I've seen. That is amazing. And again, a, 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 a job, a profession where you could die if they don't do it right. And in 12 years, no one has ever written that pilot a thank you note. That's that's amazing. I mean, but I guess that shows you the power of just a little positive feedback. And and three of the four track you down. And interestingly, you created a human connection. You really are, uh, back to your earlier goal, you're, you are elevating gratitude. Yeah, and the, uh, um, one more story that <clears throat> actually, Matt, came on the same day. It was day three. Was uh, So I, I made it to Philadelphia. And we started the evening session with all the guys, and we have this great time. And we decide to go to a restaurant. And this, a lot of us, this was our first time meeting, so we wanted to get to know each other and be in fellowship. So we all sit together at this restaurant, and about 35 of us walk into this really quiet restaurant. And you can just see, like, the one waitress who is like, oh, my God, I've now got 35 rowdy dudes that I need to <laughs> serve here. And you could just see that she was annoyed. But she sucked it up, and she served us wonderfully. She was excellent. She got all of our orders right. And we were with them until basically they closed the restaurant because we were all just having a great time talking. So when I thought about it, I was like, she is number five. She's going to get my fifth card for the day. So I got her name, and I, I start writing her card. And what I said was, uh, Teresa, I wanted to say thank you. Uh, we are actually a group of entrepreneurial fathers who are here on a retreat to learn how to become better dads for our family. This is our first evening getting together in fellowship, and it was really important. And I just wanted you to know you served us extraordinarily well. We mm. had a wonderful evening, and this is really capping off the first day of a wonderful event. So I don't know.
don't know how often you hear it, but I just want to say thank you for the amazing job that you did. Wow. So I write this note, and she's, it's, it's the end of the evening. She's doing her tips and that whole thing with her receipts in the corner. So I walk up to her, and I hand her the card. Again, she's a little startled. She's like, okay, thanks. And then as I'm leaving, I realize, man, i got to go to the bathroom. So I take a U-turn, go to the bathroom, and it's in a different part of the restaurant. So as I'm coming out, she's just standing there in front of the bathroom <laughs> with her head, her head cocked to the side with this really perky little smile. She literally runs at me, kicks me up, gives me the biggest hug I've ever had, and said, that is the best tip I've ever been given. Oh, my heavens. And so to me, it was just, that was day three, Matt. That was day three. So this is hard, by the way. This is a really, really difficult challenge. That's the nature of a challenge, right? Yeah. It's going to make it it's difficult. Having that feedback with her and then, with, again, within 24 hours, having those pilots, I was like, I have to do this. There's no way I can't not do this. The world needs this. And that's huge. So that's, that's, uh, that's what's inspired me to keep going every day. That's amazing, John. John Israel, we're speaking with. He uh, is on currently day 284 of his 365-day challenge to write five um, thank you notes a day. He's learning some incredible stuff. We will continue the journey and continue learning from John and feeling of that great spirit of, of gratitude and giving uh, up next on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. On the phone with us is John Israel. Uh, boy, a, a wonderful man taking on a really incredible challenge. 365 days of writing five handwritten notes a day. Can you imagine that? He's currently on day 284 with 1,825 notes written. And uh, John, again, thank you for your inspiration. And thanks for, I, I guess, following a prompting that led you to such an uplifting challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Is it, I mean, really, what it seems like I keep hearing from you is the power that when you express gratitude, it ends up coming back to you fivefold. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of amazing, just unexpected things that just show up. Absolutely. What What are some of your other learnings about humanity, about... Uh, being, yeah, guess, I guess being a human, being in this crazy world, what are you learning? So there's, there's one distinct lesson I really wasn't expecting that showed up very powerfully. And that is around the under, there's an underlying challenge with writing five thank you cards a day. Cause like as a task, I, I say that to people and kind of like you mentioned, most people think about thank you as like, Oh, when we got married, we write a bunch of thank you cards right. or on my birthday, my mom made me write thank you cards to everybody who gave me gifts. And and it's becoming this monotonous, like, I have to do kind of thing. And so when it comes, when it came to, like, the heart of it, I wanted it to be something that was going to really be, a, be affecting my level of gratitude. So one of the underlying challenges was to explore my capacity to experience and express gratitude. Hmm. So what that looks like is asking a question, where in my life do I not want to be grateful? Where, where in my life am I having a hard time being present to like love and joy and appreciation? 
And it's kind of like, where am I not happy, right? That's basically where, it, where it's leading to. And so, in essence, the habit of writing five thank you cards a day, like, you have to be in the right state to do it. Because right. there's a difference of if you're in a bad attitude and you have to write five thank you cards, they're going to come out with a little, you know, a little twang of not some, you know, not greatness. It's yeah. like, oh, hey, I'm glad somebody remembered my birthday. <laughs> a cynical uh, thank you. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, it, it, the challenge is I'm, I'm, a, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I have, you know, small children that, you know, I come home and I open the door and it wakes the dog up and my kids start crying and my wife's mad at me and I'm like, oh, my God, now i got to go in my office and sit down and write five thank you cards. This is perfect. So. <laughs> I've had it multiple times where I come home and I'm totally just not in that state because of, for whatever reason, life is life. And I will literally go in my room, my office, I'll close the door, I'll lie on the ground, and I'll just process the day. I will just sit there and I'll just be with everything that happened, all the negativity, all the positivity, all the, everything that happened, just to bring some perspective. I'll usually do that for like five to ten minutes. I'll get up, I'll grab my journal, I'll write a couple notes, and then... I start writing my, my thank you cards, hmm. and it's just absolutely transformative. So one thing I would say that's really powerful is it's made me hyper aware of my emotional state every single day hmm. because we all have experiences in life that are challenging, and there's like what's the lag time from the moment it happens and the emotions you feel to when you're moved past that emotion. So for me, it's like a 24-hour window where like that's about as long as I get. Yeah. And otherwise, I just got to move forward with life. And, and it's uh, created a lot of completion in areas that have been just really challenging. And one specifically that um, really was uh, pretty profound was I was, uh, you know, so in business, we have, cl- I have clients and I had one particular that uh, I was sending notes to all of my favorite clients, my best clients. And uh, I, I got to one person's name and I'd love this woman for forever and ever. She was a great client. And for and she stopped ordering from us because on her last order we made a mistake and she wasn't happy about it canceled and wouldn't return any of my calls she was basically like done with me and I was like wow okay got it and I felt really bad because I just cared for her as a person I thought she was great so it would be inauthentic if I wrote her a thank you card to say hey thanks for all the business over the years because it was there was a part of our life that wasn't complete so I I said you know what I'm gonna write one to her so I I've pick up a card and I start writing and and it wasn't a thank you as much as it was just an acknowledgement for what had happened. So I said, you know, Hey Tracy, I just want to say, um, I wanted to reach out, um, just to acknowledge that, you know, we had, uh, messed up on your order a few months ago. And I just wanted to really apologize because I just care about you as a business person. And I think you're amazing. I know you're a great mom and it really bums me out that that happened. And I'm not asking you to do business with us again. I just want you to know that, um, you know, I apologize for what happened. And I hope business is going great this year. If there's anything that I can do to serve or support you, let me know. Otherwise, have a fantastic year. Hmm. And, and that was it. And I just sent this out to a person who wouldn't return my phone call. Wouldn't ha- and then out of nowhere, she sends me a message on Facebook and says, Hey, John, I got your letter. Don't worry about it. Water under the bridge. I love you. I love your family. You guys are great. And then a couple of days later, she sends me a, a video via text and like, hey, John, I had a question about my last order, yada. And I was like, wow, look at this what yeah. was seemingly this very negative experience, this relationship that was cut off, but this willingness to just own the whole thing, even though, by, by the way, it was kind of like half our fault, half hers because of just what happened timing-wise. Right. But I didn't want to say that. You don't say that to somebody. All I could do is own what was there for me, and that's it. And it just suddenly rekindled and created this relationship that had been broken off. It's almost like it's healing, right? You 
by by always by and it's almost like you allow prompting uh, to kind of lead you to where you need to create healing and and um, or life or like you just said like just acknowledgement of something happening. It seems like many of us just turn off when when we've been hurt by somebody or we can't. I tried to call them back three times and they wouldn't answer. But you just kind of followed more your heart, and it seems like it tends to allow us to heal. Absolutely. That is – I mean I, I had no idea that – I guess you didn't either when you started this – how many beautiful things like the whole idea of being present and processing your emotion every day. That that too is so powerful. And then the mere fact that if you have a really bad day, you can go process it, but you also have a challenge to reach out and help five people every day. So you can't – you can process it to a point, but you can't wallow in it. And then you have to right. almost convert it into something good for someone else. Yeah, there, there's a, a, a funny thing. You might you might laugh at this. So um, I went to Gonzaga University mm. in Washington yeah. State. Uh, and obviously, I'm a huge basketball fan. Clearly, oh, you get, you guys totally ruin our totally. lives. Come on, BYU. Hey, guys, we can't handle it. Well, you guys beat us on our only almost undefeated season. I mean, <laughs> uh, mind blowing. We're not yeah. going to go into that. Okay, okay, good. So, okay, so I, I attended Gonzaga University. I love basketball. Clearly, we this was a great year for us. Yeah, we make it to the national championship. Oh yeah, I'm watching it at home with my wife or kids. We're rooting. We're hooting, hollering. We're having a great time. And then we lose. I, I don't know. People talk about being depressed, and it's hard sometimes for me to relate because I, I don't think I've felt like that. But it, if I've ever felt depressed, that, that was moment <laughs> was probably the closest I've ever been when we lost North Carolina. And I, I literally just felt sick. I, I walked away from the TV, and I just felt disgusting. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe we lost. This sucks. Blah, blah, blah. That's how I was feeling. And then I had this moment where, because I still had to write my cards for the day, and I said, how can I bring gratitude to this experience and I thought you know what I am going to write a thank you card to every single player of the Gonzaga men's basketball team and so what I did was I went online I found the roster and I wrote a personal note to every single player even the red shirts everybody who played for Gonzaga and uh, I I found the address and I mailed them out it took me about three days to get everyone's cards because they had about 15 or so people and I sent them all out to everyone on the team. And about a month later, no kidding, on my birthday, I get a handwritten card from Mark Few, the head coach of the Gonzaga no way, thanking me for sending those notes to all the team. And it was like, this is unbelievable. Like, all I was trying... And by the way, as soon as it was interesting that as soon as I made the decision from being in that super depressed state to I'm going to bring gratitude to the team because God, they got us to the national right. championship. Right, it's unbelievable. What, what? How much is there to celebrate right now? And, and just that shift completely changed it. And I was like over it like pretty quick. It still took me about a day, but it was it was like life changing. And so for me, and I would say anyone who's listening. You know, just consider that there's an opportunity in painful situations to bring gratitude some way to the people. And not that it's just a thing in a journal that you write or just thinking happy thoughts, but to find the people to appreciate because it makes a connection with the story and the experience that it doesn't just live with you personally, but it lives in other people. So it really multiplies. Oh, and there's yeah. this great quote. There's this great quote. 
agree. I think it's a great quote. Yeah. My my caveat to that would be what you appreciate multiplies. Because That's when you great. do it with other people, it really multiplies their experience and really how they choose to reflect that in the world around them. So That's it's been a, so it's, good. Man, John, you, I mean, who would have thunk, right? Just one challenge to uh, – a major challenge, 365 days um, of thank you notes. And thank you. Thank you for sharing it. Thank you for finding the good in the world and being the good in the world. We're going to have to have you back in a few months when you're all done with the challenge. I'm dying to know more about uh, about how that worked. I know you're working on other books and materials, folks. Don't give up. Don't give up giving thanks and recognize how contagious it is. What you appreciate multiplies. And uh, that's the goal of the show is to help you see and be the good in the world. We'll take a break. Come back. Wrap it up. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We got to wrap it up and uh, get you ready to go to screen cleaning with Jeffrey Simpson. You're not going to want to miss that in a minute. Uh, Well, Jeff, tell us, what are you talking about on the big show? It's going to be a list show. Oh, really? So we're going to be sharing a lot of lists, including, uh, you know, a list of movies that you can just kind of have on in the background because they're not the best movies in the world. Yeah. But there's a very interesting title for that list that oh. you won't want to miss. Okay, that sounds exciting. We're going to be speaking with Rod and Donna Gustafson about Dunkirk and the new Valerian and the however many cities there are. <laughs> um, and also we're going to be giving you some hidden gems of movies that you'll want to check out for sure. Really? Just the ones that you – the keepers? The ones you gotta you gotta watch. Well, the ones that either people have forgotten about or that you've never heard of, and that you'll be so grateful that you tuned in and listened, so that you knew where to find them and that they even existed. Man, screen cleaning—it's just in about two minutes. Uh, before we go there, we promised we'd tell you about a Florida man arrested for calling nine one one nearly a hundred times in one day. Uh, just a little advice: don't do that. Authorities say uh, this man, Michael Mott, called the department's communication center 98 times on Monday. They say Mott was trying to get money that was seized during a drug arrest in January. Police say Mott used two phones to make the calls, even made calls in front of an officer who responded to tell him to quit making calls. (laughs) And uh, then uh, Mott tied up valuable resources that were meant to help citizens. Mott was charged with making harassing telephone calls and booked into county jail. By the way, it's the fastest way to go to jail is by calling 911 a hundred times. Now I can't stop thinking about applesauce. Mots and mots and mots and mots and mots and lots of mots. Pork chops and applesauce. You got to love it. Also, uh, a raccoon gives birth in a backseat of a convertible. Yeesh. A pregnant raccoon decided to get busy in the backseat of a convertible giving birth. Employees at an auto detailing shop in Sarasota, Florida, first discovered the mother who crawled through a plastic cover on the car's window. Uh, Devin Strait, who works in the wildlife rescue group, said they initially found just one baby Wednesday. But when they opened the trunk, there was another newborn. Always look for all of the baby cubs. Straight up, uh, the, the mother and the babies, they put the babies into the kennel, the mother into the kennel, and then they went and released them in the woods. Are mommy and baby doing all right? They're doing fine. Oh, great. 
And uh, they, but now they have this hankering to get back in the uh, convertible and you know head once down. You've, once you've once you've tested out a convertible, there's really no other option. <laughs> you've got to stick with it. These raccoons apparently tore the car to shreds. They chewed on shoes. They chewed on uh, shades in the car. They ruined a lot of stuff. So, you know. In fact, I don't think it was always a convertible, it but wasn't. they made it into a convertible. <laughs> they just ground it down. That's the show, my friends. Uh, thanks for being with us this week. We can't do the show without you. We're here every Monday through Friday, 9 to noon Eastern Time. You can also find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, at byuradio.org. You can look up my website, matttownsend.com. We're everywhere. But if you uh, stick around for just a few more seconds, you're going to be able to enjoy Jeff Simpson and uh, his wonderful show, Screen Cleaning. You got it right. Of course. I get it right every (laughs) single time. I don't know what the big deal is. Thanks for being with us, folks. Up next, the man, the myth, the legend, Jeff Simpson. (sighs) Let's see. Transformers, Dark of the Moon, Jack and Jill, Grease... Rocky Horror Picture Show. What are you doing, Jeff? Hmm? Oh, oh, hey, Cole. <laughs> I'm just uh, compiling a list of movies we will never, ever talk about on the show. But by listing them out loud, aren't you technically talking about them? Yeah, I suppose you're right, Cole. You just made my list. What was that? Uh, I said it's time to start the show. Oh, that's what I thought. Welcome to Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Jeff Simpson, joined here, joined, joined, conjoined, not conjoined, that's for sure. Here with well, sometimes me. Sometimes it feels like it. Here, I'm not sure how I should take that. Uh, I'm here with Cole Wissinger, Hello. who is uh, my partner in crime. And today is all about lists. We're going to be giving you several lists, not just a list of good news, but uh, a list of movies you should check out list of movies that maybe you uh, you could probably have on the background if you have more important things to do, and also a list of movies that, uh, Cole, I'm going to see how well you know them, okay? I'm ready. All right. Well, let's do that first. Let's get into our best of news, because here on Screen Cleaning, we like to give you the very best in the movie news, and here it is. In the best immortalization news... We've never had that category before. Stan Lee had his hand or his handprints and his footprints immortalized at the TCL Chinese Theater. Finally, wow. he's 94 years old. Can you believe that? So, not only that, but Disney has officially made him a Disney legend. Ooh. So, he's got a star He's got his handprints and his footprints on the, uh, I always want to say the Grauman Chinese Theater or Man's Chinese Theater, but those those aren't the sponsors anymore. Uh, and he's also a Disney legend. So good for you, Stanley. 94 years young. He just lost his wife recently, so that was a bit of sad news. Mm-hmm. But uh, that is a good long life. And a it, lot of movies to his name. Now. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. In the best superhero news... There was uh, there's a lot going on, so it's hard to just cram everything into these few minutes that we have. Uh, Comic Con is going on right now. As D twenty three was D23. just recently, which is almost another Comic Con because exactly. they hold half of the comics, being the Marvel half, right. and 
really more than half when you consider that Marvel has the good ones. Yeah, and so they had a ton of news to share. One of one of the pieces of news that they shared, uh, they they talked a little bit about the Incredibles, the sequel to the Incredibles, I should say, which I believe we're all super excited for, and a little confused as to why it took so darn long for this film to come out. But anyway, we learned that this film was going to focus on Elastigirl, the wife of the Incredibles, and uh, her husband is going to stay at home with little little uh, Jack Jack. <laughs> so I guess that's that's kind of a good thing. There are a lot of uh, husbands that are staying at home these days with the kids, and roles are kind of reversed. The traditional roles, I should say, and that's not to say that those should be the only roles. But so that'll be an interesting take on it because they tend to focus on the family, and the, the superhero stuff is kind of the backdrop for this family comedy. I think the thing that we can get out of that too is if he has to stay home with Jack Jack. Jack Jack's still a little kid. Some people thought mm-hmm. that they were going to try to do a Toy Story where they follow real world time, but the thing we learned from D23 is they are picking up right right exactly where the last one left if off. If the Simpsons can do it, why can't the Incredibles That's do it? That's right. Uh in our best uh princess news, this was another announcement at D23. There are a lot of Disney princesses that are going to be making cameos in the sequel to Wreck-It Ralph. I don't know if you heard about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was so excited when I read this. And they had them all lined up on the stage. It was so cool looking. Oh, my gosh. My girls are going to go crazy. I mean, I'm also going to go crazy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I think everybody's excited about that. And our best uh, game news, Disney is working on coming out with a hollow chess game. If you've seen Star Wars, this is the little uh, hologram chess game that's played with little creatures that kind of knock each other down. Made a little cameo appearance in The Force Awakens. That's true. um, Finn kind of like bumps on the Millennium Falcon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. so that should be interesting. Might be might seem a little outdated, but uh, that'll be funny. Uh, and then our last piece of, of uh, Friday plans at news, mm-hmm. Cole, I'm not sure what you're doing, but I, I hate to brag, right after the show, I'm heading to the movie theater to go see Dunkirk. I know you're jealous. Come Never on. heard of it. What, what movie are you talking about here, Jeff? Well, if you haven't heard of it, it currently holds a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes, down from 92% just a few minutes ago. I'm I'm... A little disappointed that we looked again. But uh, our next guest, Rod Gustafson and Donna Gustafson from Parent Previews, they're going to be giving us their take on Dunkirk as well as another major motion picture that will be out today that probably won't make as much money, but uh, I also kind of want to see. So that is up next when we return here on Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show. been away for a while, but now he's back, and this time he's got a guest with it. This sounds like the great starting of a a sequel tease. Uh, (laughs) We are speaking with Rod and Donna Gustafson from Parent Previews, and uh, they're all about helping parents make more informed decisions when it comes to what to choose for our uh, Friday and Saturday nights movie-wise, and they're here today to talk to us about two major motion pictures that just came out today, and they've seen them both. Donna and Rod, welcome to Screen Cleaning. Welcome. We're happy to be here. Hello, Jeff. 
So, Rod, I know we talked about this a little bit, but you promised, well, I don't know if you promised, um, I'm hoping you don't spoil too much. But as you said, if you know your history, then nothing's really spoiled by a synopsis of this movie. Yeah, that's right. We're talking about Dunkirk. And I I suppose this is, you know, a little bit of a downside of a true historical story because, yeah, and, you know, I won't give it totally away. There are a couple of surprises in this movie, but we certainly know the outcome if you do, if you know your history on this one. And, you know, we talked a little bit about this film last week on the show because last week was our 10th show and this is Christopher Nolan's 10th movie. That is, this is number 10. And Dunkirk is just such a different movie from many of the other things he has done. Uh, So this film is about the Battle of Dunkirk. And it's not even calling it the Battle of Dunkirk, as I have learned brushing up on my history of this moment in World War II. It was much more the evacuation of Dunkirk, because what happened was the Allied forces, of course, were at war with the German army, and uh, they got kind of pushed across northern France and cornered in this small community of Dunkirk, where they are literally up against the sea. They are on the beach and the Germans have them surrounded and they've got nowhere to go. And so they are expecting that they are just going to be totally decimated uh, while they are trapped against the seashore. And so what happened was Winston Churchill organized this incredible uh, evacuation and they couldn't, the way this beach worked, they couldn't even get big ships to the beach. So somehow they had to get all these men onto larger ships or something. And so what happened was a bunch of civilians from England wound up sailing over to Dunkirk in their little private yachts and boats and that type of thing to help rescue all of these all of these trapped soldiers. It sounds like an amazing story, and I've heard that it's very intense as well. It, how how does the violence uh, or what? Here's what I should say. <laughs> Can you recommend this movie to families with younger children based on the violence that's there? And uh, also, I want to. I have got a follow up question after after you answer that. Well, yeah, the the short answer is yes. Now, certainly, this is not a film for young children, but heed the PG thirteen rating on this. But Jeff, what is surprising is the violence in this film, and and I really appreciate that Christopher Nolan made this decision. The violence in this film is not as explicit as what you see in many other quote unquote entertaining superhero movies. But it is still extremely suspenseful. There will be scenes that will kind of will definitely be unsettling, maybe even bothersome. So be careful with young children. But for teens and adults, what this movie really does is it just immerses you into those few days when this evacuation was taking place. And I saw my screening on IMAX. This is one of the few movies I'll tell you that it's really worth spending the extra money to see it on an IMAX screen if there's one near you. And it just, it's amazing. It is like you're under the water at one moment. You're up in the air the next moment. And the the sounds, uh, you may want to take hearing protection if you have sensitive ears. But the, it, it's just blistering the audio effects and the visuals. And everything comes together to really make sure that you've had this experience. Okay, Rod, one final question. And real quick here, do you have a problem with... Hollywoodizing uh, historical violence for for dramatic purposes, or are you okay with that? Well, it's funny. Um, it, 
Christopher Nolan uses a term that uh, that goes back to Warner Herzog called ecstatic truth. He has changed things. There are fictional people in this movie that he's put together, but he says that he wanted to do that to create efficiencies in helping us to try and be able to feel um, the event and what has happened. You know, it's a fine line. This movie, I mean, I wasn't there, obviously. Surprise, surprise. But I feel like this movie's purpose is not to entertain as much it is, as it is to inform. And I feel that Nolan did a really good job with that. Unlike many of the other violent films we see, uh, this one is here to make you consider the cost of war. And it does a very good job with that goal. Oh, I'm so excited to see it. I'm seeing it here in just a couple of hours. Now, Donna Gustafson, you are going to be talking about another uh, movie that's based on a true story. Uh, no, it's not based on a true story. So this is Valerine and the City of a Thousand Planets. This is a sci-fi fi- uh, flick that is aimed at your teenagers. It is based on a French graphic novel, which is the um, literary term for a comic book. So, you know, these are not characters that I have met anybody in North America that are familiar with them, although the books have been translated into English. This film is all about visuals. It has a couple of sort of young adult characters. Valerine is actually a male. Loreline is his partner in crime. They are galactic space police soldiers, something of that sort. And they are trying to sort out a mystery about a a replicator, this little device, which is actually a little creature that has been stolen and they find that it's tied into a much bigger plot. Don't worry about the plot. That is not the purpose of this film. This film is all about visuals. It's all about these crazy creative worlds all over the galaxy and these aliens. And unfortunately, that's also the problem with the film. That's really all it's about. It's the Star Wars cantina on steroids. <laughs> so basically, if we're going to see this, we're just we're really going to see it for the visual eye candy. Yeah, you know, this is what I call a popcorn film. It, yeah. You know. And and unfortunately, that's all it is. Now, the comic book series that it's based on, there are like 20 volumes of, of these things. So they had lots of material to work with. I'm, it's unfortunate that they didn't spend a little bit more time on the story. Um, and I think that they're hoping it'll spin off a sequel. So we'll have to see what happens as far as the box office is concerned. If the audience it's aimed at enjoys just the ride and isn't that concerned about the characters. But for myself, you know, being, a, being not quite in that teenage category, I, <laughs> I had a harder time buying into the characters. Parents should also be aware that although it's really low in profanities um, and the violence is all stylized so we don't see, you know, any blood or gore or any of those kinds of things, there are a little bit of sexual content in here. One of the characters that they bump into is a, is a stripper and uh, we discover she's a sex slave. And although they, we don't go into a lot of detail in that, we do get to watch her do... Uh, a dance in a variety of costumes and some pole dancing and that kind of thing. That'll be sort of your high water mark for your sexual content. Um, like I say, it, it's pretty, it, it's not very detailed, but it's there. And overall, it's a little lackluster. I, you know, in spite of all of the money spent on the effects, it didn't wow me. And I wish that it had been better in the story department. 
Well, so we've got Dunkirk and Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, two movies that you're not going to have to look very hard to find this weekend, especially. And uh, when we return, we're going to be continuing the discussion with Rod and Donna Gustafson about some movies that you might have to look a little harder for, but it'll be well worth it when we return. This is Screen Cleaning. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. I'm speaking with Rod and Donna Gustafson from Parent Previews, and uh, they just finished uh, giving us their reviews for Dunkirk and Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. And now we want to continue this theme of lists that we have on the show here today. You know, I'm always tickled whenever I find a movie that I knew nothing about and I've discovered for the first time, and it blows me away. And Rod, you and I have talked a lot about this, about going in blind to see a movie. So I'm curious to know, we we have a few minutes here, and I was hoping that the three of us could each share two films that we would consider a hidden gem, a movie that uh, either has been forgotten or people just don't know about. So Donna, why don't we start with you and your two picks? Okay. Well, I... I went with something lighter because of being summer, so I thought I would pick a couple of ones that I thought were fun. So the first one I chose was Secondhand Lions. This one may not be entirely forgotten, but it had a really short run when it was in theaters, and I felt it deserved more attention than it got. So Secondhand Lions is a story about a young boy who gets ditched by his negligent mother with a couple of bachelor uncles. They're actually great uncles. They're played by Michael Caine and Robert Duvall. Oh, those um, are great uncles. Yes, they are great <laughs> uncles. And and much older than Haley Joel Osment was when he played in this film. He looks like he's about 13 years old in the movie. And he gets stuck with these uncles who are really not interested in him. But he's had no male role models in his life. And so as the three of them form a relationship, they become the parent that he doesn't have. Because, like I say, his mother is really not involved in his life. And these uncles provide what it is to be a man. And it's, it's a fun adventure because... As he gets to know these uncles, they have a crazy, ridiculous past, and he's not sure that it's true, but it helps him to sort of find himself. It's a really warm, heartwarming film. And a wonderful movie to show the influence of, of elderly people, your, your grandfather, your great uncle or whoever in your family. Okay, so that's your first pick. Actually, let's do this. Rod, why don't you give us one of your picks, and then I'll do one, and we'll circle back again. Okay. By, the, by the way, the best part of reviewing movies for 25 years is exactly what we're doing today, the hidden <laughs> gems. So the one I would like to bring up is a movie called Avalon by Barry Levinson. Uh, this came out kind of in the earlier days of my movie review, reviewing career in the uh, early 90s, I believe it was. This is a wonderful story about an immigrant who comes to the United States and all of the wonderful, wonderful things about coming to the USA and the opportunities it brings and everything else. But then as they pull their money and they bring over other family members and that type of thing, reality starts setting in. So it's also about the challenges we face and not even just the challenges of, of moving countries, but the challenges of affluence. And, uh, and then one of the things I love about this movie is television plays a big role in their lives because they wind up running an appliance shop that sells televisions. And then 
um, how television influences their family and starts to kind of detract from some of their family pr- traditions. A lovely movie. So Avalon, always one of my favorites. So both of mine, and I, I haven't seen that one, Rod. I'll have to check that out. Uh, both of mine are all about fun. You've probably heard of Forrest Gump and Back to the Future um, and uh, maybe even Castaway. But mm-hmm. my film is a Robert Zemeckis film that was actually his first feature film, a little film called I Want to Hold Your Hand. And ah, okay. it's it's very similar to that thing you do, except it preceded it. And it's about this group of kids who are trying to get to the Ed Sullivan show to see the Beatles make their very first appearance on the Ed Sullivan show. And so there are a few girls that are in this group, all of whom are very excited for different reasons to see the Beatles. And there's also a group of guys that that tag along who are maybe not as excited for various reasons. And it's it, what it does perfectly is they never actually show the Beatles. So the way that they portray the Beatles uh, in the film is just so clever and obviously within their budget. And this show is just all about fun. I do remember there being a little bit of language, but it's kind of like uh, American Graffiti in that you you bounce around from character to character to see what they get up to throughout the night. And there are various mishaps and just a clever, small, cute, fun film. I want to hold your hand. You have me curious. 1978, that's the year I graduated high school. I've got to check this out. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Donna, what's your second pick? Okay, my second pick is The Court Jester. So this film is starring Danny Kaye. Now, he's kind of one of those rubber chicken actors who did, you know, just the funniest things with his body and his face. Quite quite a famous man who your children may not be aware of because he is one of the oldies. Anyhow, he plays... I, normally, I don't go for really all-out silly. This is really all-out silly, but it's clever silly. It's really fun. He plays a court jester who goes in to infiltrate a um, a kingdom that has where the the proper person for the throne has is a baby, and he's been usurped by his older uncle, and so he is there sort of as a spy. But of course, he's clueless and he doesn't have any talents except for his comedic abilities. So he's supposed to be there to to take over the kingdom, and and of course, he is bumbling his way through it. One of the fun things about it is he's put under a spell by an evil witch, and whenever you snap your fingers, he goes from thinking he's a hero to being his normal self again, and they play this gag between having accidental finger snaps happening, so at the worst of times, he's suddenly this very cowardly character, and then, it, you know, they snap their fingers, and then suddenly he's the hero again. It it's it's just a really fun ride, crazy, silly stuff. Your kids may have watched Mary Poppins. They will find the younger mother in that film. She stars in this. Her name is Glennis, Glennis Johns. Johns. Oh, yes, yeah. I got so, it right. <laughs> okay, and then Angela Lansbury, a very young Angela Lansbury, plays the beautiful princess in this film. And your kids may know her as the voice of Mrs. Potts in oh, Beauty yeah. and the Beast. Yeah. And, you know, I believe that is on the AFI list of 100 greatest comedies of all time. Well, there you go. I'm not crazy for thinking it's a fun (laughs) film. (laughs) All right, Rod, what's your number two pick? Oh, man, I went for the serious ones. The Mighty. I don't know. Have you ever seen The Mighty, Jeff? I have, actually. Yeah, a lovely, wonderful film. I just, first of all, there's the soundtrack by Sting, 
that is just, I, I really enjoy listening to the music in this movie, but what a great story. We don't see many um, powerful movies about positive role models in teen characters. And this one has two teen characters that are just incredible. It's about a, a boy who is, he's a, he's a real big guy and uh, he's just, he's got some learning challenges. And then this, this other boy moves in next door to him. He's this little scrawny kid and he has mobility challenges. And so the two of them get together. Of course, they're both picked on and bullied and everything else. And the two of them get together to form this this one incredible person i know that sounds strange but they just the the big guy actually carries the little guy on his shoulders and and uh, it's just a wonderful heartwarming story but boy this is a five tissue movie this does not have the usual ending that you may expect in a movie that's made for younger people so parents a little warning on that but you know what sometimes in the right way i think we can use a, a dose of reality and and as I say, there's just wonderful role models in this film. Well, Rod, that uh, made me think of another film, which I'm going to give honorable mention to, but which is not my second pick, which is My Bodyguard, a movie mm, that yes. uh, I think you've mentioned it on the show before. But that's one that you kind of have to look for. And it's an older film, kind of with some of the same themes going on there. Um, yeah. Another couple of quick Honorable mentions. We've mentioned them both on the show before. There's a film called Flipped, which is based on the book of the same name, directed by Rob Reiner. It was a total bomb, but it's actually kind of a cute uh, young romance movie that you should definitely check out. Rated PG. And then also, this one was kind of popular in its day, but now it's all but forgotten. Bugsy Malone starring uh, child versions <laughs> of Scott Bayo and Jodie Foster, one of my all-time favorites. So if you want to see a child gangster movie, you should check out Bugsy Malone. And then my actual pick... If you Drum roll. yeah, if you've seen <laughs> if you've seen and you enjoyed the film Clue, which which also did not do well when it was released theatrically, you will definitely enjoy a film called Murder by Death. Have either of you ever seen Murder by Death? I no, have not. I do not think I have. It's a Neil Simon script, and oh, uh, if you're good. if you're familiar with the Agatha Christie detectives, you will love this film because it's it's set up very similarly to Clue, where these these groups of people are coming to this mansion to ha spend an evening, and there's murder or may not be murder involved, and so it's basically a spoof of all these different Agatha Christie detectives coming under this roof, and their host who is played by Truman Capote, of all people, yes. uh, is very eccentric. And he has gathered them all into his home to try to have them solve a murder, which will take place over the course of the night. And if they cannot solve it, he is going to send out letters to the press discrediting all of them. Great cast. Peter Falk. Huge uh, cast. Yeah. Alec Guinness plays the blind butler. You've got... Um, and did mentioned... the butler do it? Mm. <laughs> David Niven is in it, as well as Peter Sellers, who plays yeah. a spoof of uh, in, uh, Charlie Chan, I believe. Oh, okay. This is one of those wonderful 1970s movies, now that I'm looking at the cast. They did this a lot in the 70s, you know, like the airplane movies, the disaster movies, where they would have this humongous cast of A-listers all in the same movie. They don't do that much anymore. 
And it's it's so much fun. I grew up with it, so there are a lot of great one-liners in it, and uh, definitely one to check out. I don't think there's right. too much in the in the way of objectionable material. There may be a little bit of language, but uh, when else are you going to see Truman Capote in a movie with this with the rest of this amazing <laughs> cast? Absolutely true. You have me very curious. I'm going to have to see if I can find this somewhere. Well, Donna and Rod Gustafson, thank you so much for spending time with us and giving us some hidden gems for us to discover over the weekend to help save our Friday and Saturday nights. And I'm excited to go see Dunkirk as well. Well, it was very fun, and I hope you enjoyed Dunkirk. Well, have a wonderful weekend, and we'll be sure to have you both on the show again real soon. We're going to take a quick break. When we return... Uh, Cole and I are going to be sharing another list of films, this one with kind of an unusual title, but uh, it'll make sense here in just a moment, here on Screen Cleaning. This is a 90-second movie review for the film War for the Planet of the Apes on BYU Radio. This is the third installment of the latest Planet of the Apes series. Andy Serkis reprises his role of Caesar, leader of the apes. An illness is affecting humans and killing them, and humans are blaming the apes for it all, so apes are in hiding. Woody Harrelson plays the colonel, and he finds where the apes are hiding and kills two of them in their sleep, thinking he has killed Caesar. Instead, he kills Caesar's wife and son. Caesar decides the apes must move elsewhere, but he will not go with them so he can get his revenge. This film really got my attention. It is amazing that the motion capture of the actors' faces can project so many emotions. Andy Serkis can really make you feel something with his technology. The story moves along really well and kept my interest as new characters were introduced. Woody Harrelson's character is ruthless to everyone in this film. Now, if you've not seen the other two most recent Planet of the Apes films, there is a quick story review, but those films are good as well. I'm not sure if this will be only a trilogy of films, but I would go see another one. As the title says, this is a war movie. There are battles during this film with guns blazing and people and apes being shot and killed. Apes are forced to do manual labor and are held in a camp. Caesar is tortured and the final battle scene is massive and destructive. Some bloody wounds are visible and there are many explosions but not much in the way of profanity in the film. War for the Planet of the Apes is rated PG-13 and I am giving it an A-. Thanks for listening. I'm Sean O'Neill. This has been a 90-second movie review on BYU Radio. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning, and on this episode, we've been sharing with you quite a few lists, and we still have a couple more to go, and uh, Cole has a, I wouldn't call it a game, but he wants us to share a new list with each other, and I'm curious to know what it is, even though I know what it is. (laughs) Movies. Meh. To watch when you're donating plasma. Okay. (laughs) I grabbed a meh from the Emoji Movie Meh. Because the Emoji Movie to me looks like one of these kinds of movies where I'm probably not going to go see it in theaters um, and I'm probably not going to make a special occasion to see it. But if it's on, I'll half pay attention to it and see what it's like. Okay, so kind of like what it's like when you're donating plasma. There's a TV in front of you. mm -hmm. So you kind of have to watch it anyway. Because uh, you're just laying there with a needle stuck in your arm. <laughs> the alternative names um, I thought about this were movies to stream while you're cleaning your house, movies to have on in the background when you're having a party, but you actually want to talk to the people, so you just need some kind of noise in the background okay. to make it not awkward. Movies 
10 years ago that would have been on TBS or TNT. And sure. Maybe you stop when you're going through the guide. So we each have three picks for movies to watch while you're donating plasma. Right. So why don't you start? What's what's one of your picks? Okay. So my first one is Mouse Hunt. Okay. (laughs) I have never seen this movie with Nathan Lane, right? Correct. Yeah. So there's... There's a certain key to these kind of movies that I wanted to to latch into. I don't want to have to pay attention to all of these movies, so I need a simple premise and simple comedy. So none of these movies also are going to be like exactly in my pantheon of great movies either. They're just of course not good enough to be watching. Okay. And Mouse Hunt has a very simple plot. You can jump into the middle of it and understand that there is a mouse in the house and these two bumbling buffoons are trying to catch or hunt the mouse. That is the simplest of plots. Mouse hunt. Also, it doesn't rely on really witty or well thought out dialogue. A lot of the jokes are in a physical form. Sight gags. Yeah. Sight gags. Okay. So it's really easy to laugh at. You don't have to be paying attention or plugged in the whole time. But if you happen to see something funny, it's funny. And I think it's a pretty good movie. Yeah. So I, I'm going to, in full disclosure, none of my three picks I would actually give a positive review for. Right. But, I mean, I guess you wouldn't either. Um, mine, is, my first one is actually one that I was donating plasma when I saw this movie because I never got around to it. And the movie theaters was not going to make a point of spending money to see it. So the only way I saw this one is when I was making money, and that is Man of Steel with Henry Cavill. Um, I've I've mentioned this on the show before. I don't really love superhero films where the superhero is indestructible, which definitely describes Superman. And there's a scene in the film where he's fighting another indestructible, seemingly indestructible character. And when you say scene, you mean a long, slogging It's like 20 minutes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) So I didn't really feel like I needed to. In fact, there was no sound. I could just read the subtitles. So I just laid there, read along with the movie. So I even got some reading done during this experience. So it was very lucrative and, and very fulfilling in a way, even though I would never watch it again. So that's the trick to this kind of a list is that normally we like talking about movies that we love. Yes. You know, but here we need to we're talking about movies that we liked enough, but none of these are actually movies that we loved. Yeah. Right. Put them on in the background. Don't think too much about them. Okay, what's your number two? So when you mentioned the sound being off, this is something I thought of when I was also donating plasma. (laughs) Um, And this this is a movie I don't normally go for movies with subtitles, but I think this is worth watching. King Kong versus Godzilla, the original. Oh, wow. So these movies were all very kind of cheaply made and have a sort of charm to them. Uh, the The actual fights are not with CGI because it was the 50s. It's guys in rubber suits. Kind now, is of, this a dubbed version or is this a version with subtitles? Watch the version with subtitles because okay. it's going to be muted anyway. So you can just read instead of having to hear the goofy uh, difference in yeah. subtitles. So that, that's the, the shtick I'm going with here is watch it with subtitles. Just read it and enjoy the kind of the show that it gets put on. Also, we love team up and mash up and universe kind of movies. Everyone's giving uh, the Universal Monsters a lot of flack for trying to create their universe. And everyone's giving yep. King Kong and Godzilla a lot of flack nowadays for copying the MCU. When guess what? King Kong faced Godzilla in the 50s. Really, it's the MCU That's copying true. King Kong. That's a great point. And, you know, movies like Man of Steel and uh, Godzilla versus the Hollywood executives. I don't know. Um <laughs> 
they're all the same. So you're not – you could jump into any one of those and they'd be pretty much as – it's like, oh, what monster is he fighting now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Very good. And he's the most recognized. I could have pulled out King Kong oh, or Godzilla versus Mothra, Godzilla versus a variety of other you monsters. You know all the names. That I grew up watching <laughs> because my dad loved these movies. Okay. So my number two pick is actually I, I love the star. I love the stars. Several people in the movie I just love. The movie itself, meh. And uh, it's Bruce Almighty with right. Jim Carrey, yeah. uh, Jennifer Aniston, and Steve Carell. This is kind of the movie that people really started to notice Steve Carell because he steals the show from Jim Carrey. Who does that, right? Um, the the gags in it are kind of hit or miss. I He's not necessarily a particularly likable character. It's about a film – or it's about this this guy who is just down on his luck. He's being passed over for a promotion, and he's blaming everything on God. And so he's confronted by God, who in this movie is played by Morgan Freeman. And basically, he, Morgan Freeman says, well, if you think my job is so easy, why don't you try it out for I don't know how long <laughs> of a day. It's basically just like Liar, Liar, and yes, a man. lot of Yes Man – where he can he has these certain abilities but only for a day or so and uh it gets a little crude some of the jokes are pretty funny such as in the case where Steve Carell is being controlled by Jim Carrey so he's basically spouting out a bunch of nonsensical words during a live news broadcast that's probably the funniest scene in the film but again something you could have on in the background take it or leave it meh Bruce Almighty. It's funny to you because that's really your nightmare every morning you wake up and step in front of a microphone. Oh, my goodness. Really, you're just going to end up sounding like Steve Carell. And often I do. (laughs) Which is funny because a lot of people tell uh, Matt Townsend that he sounds like Steve Carell, which I think as well. Anyway, so that was my number two pick. What's your last pick here? My last one. So I also wanted to think about movies where – I want to get through all of them. Again, there's a lot of sequels and a lot of universes uh, to tackle nowadays. And sometimes you don't want to just invest all of that time. Sometimes you want to get something else done at the same time. And so for me, Furious 6 is a perfect movie to watch when you're donating plasma. Because at this point in the franchise, we've gotten into dumb action movie, you know, kind of territory, whereas the beginning ones you needed to pay a little bit more attention to to get, um, you know, Furious, Fast and Furious, the first one, had a decent plot to it, and it's about street racing. Fast Five is too good to want to do something else while you're watching it. Um, even Furious, Fast and Furious, the fourth one, it wasn't, it's my least favorite, but it had so much else going on. You had to catch that it was a prequel and then the uh, Michelle Rodriguez character dies, but she's going to come back. So if you didn't catch that, it's not going to be as effective when she comes back. A difficult to follow mm-hmm. if but, you're just jumping into it. But Furious 6 is the simple, dumb action movie. You get what you expect movie of this franchise. Okay. So as you're trying to tackle all of them to get caught up to when there's a surely a Furious 9 and 10... Six is the one that you can kind of be doing something else during. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to check that out. I only made it about halfway through Fast Five. Um, But I've heard it's great. But that's the best one. Yeah. Maybe I'll go back and watch it. So uh, before I get to my last pick, I do want to mention and I want to make an honorable mention here of an entire series of films that I actually like quite a bit thoroughly enjoy but the genius of this series is that you could jump in at any point 
and Not Be Lost. They're all pretty much the same movie. And I'm, of course, talking about the James Bond franchise because they're always changing up the actor. It's always the same plot pretty much with just a different villain. And they're all fun in their own way. Exactly, yeah. Maybe with the exception of a couple of the Pierce Brosnan films, I would recommend any one of them. Um, But that's not my last pick. My last pick is not a strong romantic comedy. In fact, I don't think I've seen a strong romantic comedy in years. I can't remember the last one I saw. Maybe Return to Me was my last favorite one. Hmm. Um, But this film is a very popular one. It made a lot of money when it came out, and it's called Hitch. And this is one that actually was on in the background as uh, during uh, our hospital stay during uh, when my wife just delivered our our most recent baby. And we turned it on while we had dinner. There were nurses coming in and out. So we kept hitting mute and we didn't feel like we missed anything. Of course, we've seen it already. But this is a guy that's kind of a relationship coach. And he coaches Kevin James, who is, in my opinion, the best part of the movie, because it's difficult to not find Kevin James amusing and likable. So kudos to Kevin James for making this more of a hit than a miss. But, uh, yeah, it can just be on in the background, and it's kind of a meh movie. If I had to award a single actor to the movies to watch during plasma donating fame of honor, then it is Will Smith. There you go. None of his movies exactly jump out at you, (laughs) but I would be fine watching any one of them. Wild Wild West, not great. I still enjoy. Hancock, not great. I still enjoy. I should have put both of those on my list of movies to never mention on this show. Too late. Anyway, that's fun. So a list of movies that you can just have on in the background while you do your chores, while you're hosting people, or while you're donating plasma. That's right. So there you have it. We're going to be talking with our good friends at BYU Sports Nation here in just a couple of minutes. This is Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show. It's the time of the show when we head over to Spencer and Jerem at BYU Sports Nation to see how they're doing and what's coming up on their show. What's going on, guys? What up, Jeffrey? Sports content. It's a casual Friday in Studio B, but that doesn't mean our conversation is going to be casual. Ooh, Loaded show today. (laughs) Speaking of casual, we had kind of a casual game the other night, didn't we? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, was that our third forefoot for the BYU TV uh, intramural softball team? Of the five games we've played, I think there's one where both teams showed up. Yeah, and we won that game. And we Hard won battle. Yeah, I think we. I don't. I, we won by one run or a couple of runs. I think it was really close. Yeah, BYU TV victorious in three of the other four forefoot games, but we of course <laughs> had to forfeit one of those, right? <laughs> and Jerem, you played the other night too, didn't you? I had a game, but I didn't play. Ah. Does that make sense? So did they win then? I have no idea. Did they forfeit? I'm pretty (laughs) – I have no idea. I'm pretty uninvolved this season. Okay. Well, I'm hoping you guys can cheer me up. Um, Because your Dodgers lost their first game in a long time. The Braves ended their streak. Dude, 11-game win streak is nuts. To the really talented Atlanta Braves. I'm sorry that you're only 66-30 and 30 now. Yeah. I know. Oh, I'm so sad for you. 
It's it's so depressing that I after the show I'm gonna get a bucket of popcorn and with my wife we're gonna go see Dunkirk. Ooh, oh, snap! I like it. A matinee today? Oh yeah, nice. yeah. And I have a I'm free Tuesday. Oh, yeah. That's right. Because my wife's out of town, so we'll go when she gets back. So uh, I know that you just want to talk all about it right now. Um, we've got several clips that we want to play for you. You know, I love them. They have lots of spoilers in them. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> oh boy! Don't do it! Don't do it, Jeff. Uh, okay, I won't. Yeah, this is why I haven't read a lot from the Old Testament. I don't want any spoilers. <laughs> really? Uh, you know, the end comes. Maybe that's why I haven't read much of it either. The New Testament, I'm all over. Hey, I just want to go back to, I just did some math in my head <laughs> about the Dodgers. 66 and 30. That win percentage right now has them on pace to go like 110 and yeah. 52. And that's the record awesome. is 16 by my Mariners, who then lost in the Divisional Series. Yeah, 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 I know. But, yeah, that's a crazy pace, which... The Dodgers uh, won't keep up, but I don't think. But they'll be a uh, force to be reckoned with. I'm going to be in L.A. the first week of October I'm, that weekend. At oh. State. I'm really hoping the Dodgers have a home game in the playoffs. I oh, I'm sure they will. If they're hosting a divisional, which it, I'm going, baby. So, um, so I'm yeah. a Dodger fan with you now. I know the trade deadline is coming up. I'm just kind of hoping that they just leave the team alone the way it is. Why would you mix it up when you're winning 70% of your games? Well, you're only going to add to the quality. You know what I mean? Like, they're not going to take away. I think Dave Roberts add. basically said, if anything, we'll get, like, a left-handed reliever. Oh, But that's yeah, about you it. You trade your number 22 prospect, and you get a quality lefty from the AAA team of somebody else, and you yeah. bring them up when the roster expands at the end. Dave Roberts has... Uh, he he is a legend forever because of what happened in 2004 when he played for the Boston Red Sox. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He stole the base that started. Oh, he's the guy that stole the base? The comeback. Really? Yes. Did he have a mustache back then or yes, something? Yes, he did. He doesn't look. Yes, he did. Dave Roberts stole the base of all bases he's in that Red guy. Sox miracle comeback series oh, it is against him. the Yankees. I'm looking. He had a full goatee, dude. Dave Roberts, dude. Man, I didn't even recognize him. So are we surprised that he's guy. doing what he's doing with the Dodgers? No. He's the, guy. the steal. It's the so steal. I'm sure it's not wow. Dunkirk. I'm sure it's not the Dodgers. But what is it you're going to be talking about on your show? Oh, well. We got a lot today. Today's those, really Yeah, loaded. those are some good things. But, yeah, we can top that. We can top it. Starting the, with this. Yeah, ESPN Football Power Index. Okay, it, They make analytical projections of each individual game, win probabilities for a season, for games, for whatnot. They have BYU favored in 10 games this year. So we're going to have our, our boy, Paul Sabin, BYU grad who works with ESPN uh, Analytics. He's going to join us and tell us what we should read into that. Because Spencer and I are like, 10 games is possible, but probably not going to happen given the strength of the schedule. But Vegas and now ESPN are keep blaring this 10 number at us. Plus, why did the Utah win probability go up from like 50-ish percent to 66? Mm-hmm. We will ask him why that happened. Sabin, isn't that the company that does uh, Power Rangers? I knew you were different spelling. <laughs> yeah. As soon as you brought up that last different name, different spelling than that, and uh, and Nick Saban, ironically enough. <laughs> Any anything else? Yeah, yes, Jonathan Tavernari, the always entertaining, unfiltered, outspoken BYU basketball alumnus, on why he was so critical of Eric Mika, and guess what? It's only. Fitting that Eric Mika would play in Italy in the same league as Jonathan Tavernari now. They're going to match up. 
And Jay Swag Daddy, Jamal Williams, the L10 leading rusher at BYU, launched a new website with swag. What NFL Hall of Famer requested something on Twitter from Jamal and a brand new segment called Unforgettable, Forgettable Moments in BYU History. (laughs) Hey, and speaking of fitting, I think it's only fitting that we end our conversation here with a Dunkirk spoiler, Jerem, uh, in the film, No Michael Caine. What? No Michael Caine. You know what I say to that? Never. (laughs) <laughs> never all right you, you guys up on me have you ever <laughs> never, never. have a great show and thank, thank you. you for your michael kane impersonations thank you oh goodness well cole i think we've got time for it we've got one more list that we need to do and it's a little bit of a challenge for you because i'm going to give you 30 seconds uh in uh, this segment that we're going to call bruce willis by the numbers bruce willis has made a lot of films with a number in the title and i'm not just talking about a sequel but uh, he has made a lot of films that have numbers in them. And I'm going to give you 30 seconds in 10 seconds here to name as many of them as possible. And then I will go through the list to refresh your memory. Are you ready? Yes. No cheating. 30 seconds starting now. So two are easy. The Sixth Sense. Fantastic movie. We already mentioned Haley Joel Osment earlier. Um and then the fifth element, one number below that, also PG-13, really cool sci-fi epic. A lot of people are comparing Valyrian that's coming out this weekend to it in its world building and kind of out there-ness. Ten seconds. I was expanding because I think those are the only ones that I can remember. Since you're not <laughs> counting sequels, I can't just uh, spout out some of those. Okay. Okay. So – I've been thinking about this for a, for a long time. I don't know why. But I just realized that he has so many films with numbers in the title. So are you ready for this? All right. Uh, National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon 1. One is in the title. One. Okay, okay. Die Hard 2, Die Harder. But see, I didn't mention – yeah, I There's knew that he was in about four or ex- five or six Die Hards. The Expendables 2. Oh. Red 2. And we're not counting Look Who's Talking 2 because it's spelled T-O-O. T-O-O. Uh, we also won't count Dart Die Hard 3 because it's Die Hard with a Vengeance. Four Rooms, The Fifth Element, The Sixth Sense. I'm going to count lucky number seven. See, so you're, he's got you're one tricking through, me, Jeffrey. He's I got thought one of some through of seven right there. And then we skip eight. We go to the whole nine yards. Then uh, we go to the yeah. whole ten yards. That, mm-hmm. We skip 11, and we've got 12 monkeys and Ocean's 12. Then we skip a few more, and we've got 16 blocks. He's also been in Catch.44. He was on that 70s show. And it's rumored that he's going to appear in Die Hard Year One. So there you go. Apparently, he only does films with numbers in them. Well, as you know, uh, we like to end each show with our... Panning for Good segment, and this is a good one today. Panning There's for Good. There's good in them there hills. <laughs> the family Orsillo had their home burned down recently. They lived there for 26 years, and they have a 34-year-old son with Down syndrome who avidly collects and watches and talks about movies, lost them all in the fire, well, his sister got took to Facebook and pled with people to step in and help out because he really cares so much about these films. And now he has even more movies than he had before. People really came together and donated lots and lots of movies. 
And this man is just pleased as punch. And that's our panning for good segment today. It's movie-related, and we try to give you only the best movie news here on Screen Cleaning. Go check out some of these movies that we've mentioned on our special list episode. We'll be back next week. This is Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show.